1: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We've got a special show for you today, folks. We'll be announcing the Wisdom Cricketers of the Year. We've got interviews with all of them. Uh, But before we get there, we'll be talking about the opening stages of this year's County Championship the IPL and much more. I'm Yaz Rana and to get through all of that with me today and more is former England batsman Mark Butcher, Wisdom.com managing editor Ben Gardner, Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine editor Joe Harmon. There's a new issue of that coming out next week. We've had a couple of listeners asking where Phil's been recently. Don't worry, he's not gone for good. He'll probably be back on next week's show. And if you want to skip straight to our IPL section, um, which some of our YouTube Audience might want to do uh, all the in crickets of the year bits. Check out the timestamps or the links in our description. First off, the county championship. Um, so for all our chat last week about how hard it is to score runs in England in April, there were there were loads of runs in the end. So in the in the nine matches, uh, there were only three results. That was also partly because of snow. Um, but there were 1900s and the average runs per wicket was 36, which is quite a lot. Ben, you were probably at the um, game of the round, or at least you were at some of it. Um, Somerset's win over Middlesex at Lords. At one point, Somerset were eighty-nine for nine in response to Middlesex's three hundred and thirteen. Yet they ended up winning it by four wickets. What a brilliant game of cricket!
4: Yeah, they came back about three different times. They did a, at that point, and then Middlesex were one hundred and thirty for three, I think, in the uh, in the second innings, and looking like they were going to build a huge lead. And then Lewis Gregory kind of had a a game that he kind of often has. Really, is uh, one of these counter cricketers that kind of just like bestrides the, the county game uh almost like a, like some kind of colossus even though he's like he's a distance from pushing for like a regular england place he's so good at that level he's sort of got a five for in the second innings to haul somerset back into at that point and then a a brilliant 60 odd really to to win it at the end when it was it was it was tough going for a time i think tom banton was sort of really struggling opening the batting and sort of really kind of ground out and uh you know the of others were grafting and then he comes in and just sort of was like just stroking it around really nicely basically uh made it look very easy so yeah that that was that was a a brilliant game uh and I guess yeah just enhances Somerset's title credentials that they can kind of win from anywhere in a way that you'd sort of uh expect the best teams to I guess and again for Middlesex after sort of a fallow time this could have been a real statement result and instead is another sort of near miss and and galling defeat I suppose
3: Mm.
1: Joe Somerset seem to do this quite a lot if you look through their batting numbers from the last couple of years no one averages are over 35 really except from Tom Lamby last year but they keep on just getting over the line um, you didn't pick them for the county championship this year so maybe, maybe it will be their year uh,
5: well I think it might be <laughs> that year. but yeah I didn't tip them uh, they bat really deep which helps uh, they score a lot of runs from the lower order and a bit like Essex but not quite to the extent of Essex they're just good at getting over the line in, in matches in the way that Middlesex really are not they're not a team that have won too many games over the last few years I wasn't at the ground but following the scorecards between any other two teams in the county championship would have thought this is pretty much wrapped up but I, you still always thought Middlesex can definitely blow it from here and Somerset can probably win it from here um, and, and that's exactly what happened yeah
1: and- Somerset needed an 80 odd stand for the last wicket in the first inning to avoid the follow on so Jack Leach and Martian Langer. Got them over the line there. But you were part of an immensely successful Surrey side. Um, obviously, Somerset haven't gone on to get the titles that your Surrey side. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> they've, they've got
2: off to the flying perfect start to finish second again. Yeah, so, that's well, that yeah. true. That's true.
1: Mm. Um, but they've got a really good habit of, of nicking these tight games that you feel like they almost don't have a right of winning. Did you, Is that something you felt when you're at Surrey? It's sometimes you get on a roll and you, you kind of just can't stop winning almost.
2: Yeah, it, it certainly happens like that. Um, I guess the key to it really or the key to kind of like making sure that you that you win more trophies is that you don't end up in that sort of trouble often. Mm. You know, it's all it's all well and good to sort of to 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 have the odd um, narrow escape during the course of the summer, but if that's kind of the way that you're relying upon um, racking up most of your points, and you're probably going to come unstuck at some points. So I think that the key for Somerset really is not to get themselves into into that much strife that they need the Houdinis to uh, to get themselves out of it. But I mean, they're a brilliant side. I I love going down to Taunton. I love watching cricket down there, commentating on cricket down there because it's a it's a proper cricket town. Um, you know, you would say that. Uh, you know, Yorkshire, I suppose, is a, is a is a cricket county. However, Headingley is not doesn't have that same vibe about it that Taunton has. In fact, Taunton is probably stands on its own um, throughout the throughout the land as a as a as a real cricket town. Everybody's invested in the club, so um, you know it's it's always great to see them do well. Um, and it, it's always worth a bit of uh, Tom banter, Banton, um, for them to finish second. And until such a time as they win one, and who knows, this might be the year um that's the sort of uh, the jibing that they're going to get
4: Tom will batted really nicely in that four things as well and he's he's one that is really worth keeping an eye on I think because his if you look at his sort of his his overall record it's nothing too impressive I think there's quite a lot of mitigating factors there there's kind of the taunton factor where he's batting at a ground where it's quite hard to score runs and no one averages too highly he also got the captaincy quite young and I didn't really agree with him at that point and so that led to sort of a fallow period and also he's kind of Often he's been in the side as much for his bowling as his batting. Whereas so, whereas another player might be sort of left out if they're going through the kind of run of form he was going through. At some points, he was being kept in the side sort of as a bowler, which meant that his average was kind of suffering more. But at his best, he looks like a he's impressive. He's a good he yeah. play and, yeah. and kind of kind him of an all-round sort of.
2: Yeah, I game, mean I the think, the bowling of... side of things is is just handy. Yes, in an eighteen batting game, I think. He can... Yeah, yeah. As a, as a batsman, I, you know, I, I watched him make his first um, first T twenty century so he can he can bang it um, but he's also you know tech, technique wise is uh, is pretty sound as well and i think he's just an impressive young man i mean that's why they gave him the captaincy so early he's got to, he's got a bit of something about him to use mm. the uh well-worn i remember he won cliche.
5: he won the kind of emerging county championship player award when he was probably 19 or 20 and at that point he was talked about as the kind of the best batsman of his age at that point but Oh, I think the captain has probably hindered those numbers a little bit. He had a horror show. I think he dropped himself in his first year as captain at Somerset, but he's come back really strongly. Uh, I don't think he was part of that enormous England squad they picked at the start of last year, which seemed... That's right, yeah. He which seemed a bit odd because he has played a bit of Lions cricket. Mm. Um, so he still feels like he's a, a little bit of a distance away, but, you know, all it takes is a couple of hundreds early season and he might be right in the mix. Mm.
1: Before we leave this game, um, Joe, for the next magazine you've asked... Uh, me yourself and Phil to pick out a bolter for the test for the test summer. Um I, I don't think this guy actually will play it, but I think he's got a chance. But Sam Robson was was amazing on the first day. So he scored 165. The second best score was was 26. Um he got dropped a couple of times early on. Um but he hit, hit Craig Overton um for four uh, straight down the ground up towards the, the media centre first ball of the season, he scored the first 50 of the season, scored, uh, scored the first 100 of the season. Um he's absolutely brilliant off his pads. Um and it's seven years since he last paid for England. He averaged thirty point five. Roy Burns averages thirty point seven and Dom Sibley averages thirty point four. And I kinda of got the impression that if um expectations were a little bit higher when he paid for England, um and he might have got a longer go if he if he had his chance a little bit further down the line. Um so interesting to see how he goes. Well I you know, you you sort of pick him out. James Vince got a double hundred.
2: Mm. Um, you know discarded by England um, Tom Wesley Tom Wesley who's yeah. <laughs> made his first hundred in God knows how long and average 17 last year I always thought he was a decent player actually Tom Wesley and that sort of leg leg sidedness that he has is, um, is something that um, a lot of sort of purists or you know casual watchers will think, oh, well, you can't play like that. Well, I, I'm told Bradman played like that. I'm not not comparing the two, <laughs> but um, you know it's not. It really shouldn't be a hindrance. You know, somebody that is is good at good at, off the straight ball it shouldn't yeah. be something that's uh, that gets in your way. So interesting. Lots of lots of people who've um, who've had a taste, uh, Sam Robson included, of, of Test match cricket. Sort of going, hang on, we're still here. Um, and as I said last week, there is a there is a spot up for for grabs. I think in the top three. So interesting
5: Actually, I just have to say when I saw the Hampshire lineup, I texted Phil when I saw Vince was batting five and said bit of a cop out isn't it <laughs> does, does he really want to be playing Fringe if he's batting five but then I, score, I guess if you go out there and score what two, 250 at pretty much a runner ball then that probably
2: but, does, but, does but I mean but it is that is quite a salient point though I mean you know you're captain of the team senior player in the side I mean in county cricket unless, unless you're somebody like Alistair Brown for example who played his entire career averaging 40 odd in, in first class cricket in the way that he did sort of batting at 5 is exactly the right spot for him but if you've got ambitions to play for England as a as a you know a top order batsman then 5 in the county cricket you're not getting picked you ain't getting picked from there sorry um you know it's because the 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 level of drop off between the opening bowlers to whatever comes afterwards is 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 nowhere near um, and so at five, you're sort of saying, oh, I'm I'm comfortable here and I, this, I'll probably make tons of runs here. Um, but you're not saying pick me. I it's want to, quite a I shift
5: I from only what the year before last when he was opening the batting because he thought that was his best way of playing for England. So to now be at five, I don't know what that represents. Maybe he's happy just to, to do the job that he can for his county and thinks of scoring many runs as he can wherever it is for Hampshire is the, the best possibly. he can do for them.
1: Yeah, possibly, possibly. I, I almost think as well. I think there's a chance he might move up the order as the season progresses a little bit. You know, bat five early April when it might be in theory does a bit more, and then kind of as you as you get a bit of form, um, then then move up the order. I mean, well, why not? The, the the when it
2: does a bit more, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I guess I, re- I remember playing early season as the, as the season started to get earlier and earlier, and particularly playing at the Oval, pitches were unbelievably flat um, by then. And if you have no, if there's no heat. If there's no sort of moisture and heat in the air, the ball literally is gun barrel straight. Um, so do you reckon that's what happened this week? I, I would imagine. I mean, it was freezing.
1: Yeah. It was uh, snowing it was, a lot of the It was
2: freezing everywhere. Um, and therefore, the ball did the best part of nothing by the, by the looks of it. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what happens when it warms up a little bit. Obviously, we're not going to get to sort of 25 to 30 degrees. But once the, once it starts to, once you start to get those typically once you get moistish ish conditions around 18, 18 sort of, uh, uh, degrees Celsius, then you might see that things change a little bit.
5: There's also there's more points for draws this mm. year, isn't there? I'm Eight not, points quite, for not draws, suggesting yeah. that's what happened in this first round, but that'll be an interesting trend to, to watch whether. Sides are happy to settle for draws where the pitches will be prepared with that in mind, particularly as we get down to the kind of crunch phase of of these groups when sides can get through with a draw perhaps to get the position they want. Um, Just be interested to see how that that develops
4: yeah and I think one thing from the from the Hampshire game that if, if it's the draws thing or if it's the early season thing I don't know what but Mason Crane got a decent bowl took three wickets I think in both innings and... six
5: wickets for a leg spinner in April that must be some sort of uh, record <laughs> I think <laughs> wasn't it uh, I, let's just say it is yeah um, <laughs> uh, it's the sort yeah. of accuracy wisdom provider <laughs> um,
4: but it's, it's an interesting point that you make Bert, about the former test players coming back and doing well because Tom Wesley's another you could say he was pretty harshly treated to begin with he only got five tests Made a fifty in the first and a, a good sort of a unbeaten thirty or forty to chase a, a low target in a low scoring game. Currently, his last test one. knock. Yeah, uh, and and you wonder if that had been you know a bit of a, steep, a steeper chase and you get seventeen or out if he's on the plane for the ashes that winter. Uh, but I think the thing that England have wanted from these players is for one or two of them to go back to county cricket and show that they're too good for that level, basically, which just hasn't really happened. Like you can say that they were harshly harsh to be left out whenever they were, but if you don't go and show that that's the case, then you can only complain so much but it's like so, but so it's interesting if a few of them now kind of do show that that they have kind of they're older and wiser for the experience there is like you know there's no reason why they couldn't be picked again I think and I don't think that any of those players when they were left out it was with a that's the end of your career sort of thing it was with a okay we're going with someone else show us how good you are and that hasn't happened for I mean Pope is probably the one example of a player who's gone away and done that maybe Gary balance for a time
5: uh, Vince is the tantalising one, isn't it? As he always is. I still remember when we interviewed Paul Farbrace after he'd left his role with England, he said his, his biggest regret of his time as coaching England was that Vince never came through. So there was no reason why he shouldn't come through. There's no reason why he shouldn't be a proper international batsman. But he has had quite a few chances across different formats. Uh, and his first class record is good uh, on the and very good recently, but it still doesn't exactly say I'm so good for this level that you have to play me in test cricket.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, there was another great game at Bristol. Gloucestershire chased 229 at over six and over to beat Surrey on the final day there. Um, there was a better than a runnable ton for Graham van Buren. Um, a 90 odd not out from Chris Dent taking them over the line. Gloucester, obviously a very good side. They were promoted from Division 2 of the County Championship in 2019. Um, Joe, Chris Dent now averages 43 in first class crickets in the start of 2015. That's a long period of time to be averaging 43 at the top of the order. A lot of Gloucestershire fans would say that he doesn't get a look-in with England or even England Lions because he plays for one of the smaller counties. Do you think there's any truth in that?
5: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there is. I think it's a combination of that and it's a combination of playing in Division 2 as well previously. Uh, obviously, he played a massive part in getting them promoted, which didn't actually count for anything because of the COVID situation, restructured the tournament. Uh, but yeah, in terms of openers around the country, given that pretty much everyone has had a chance who probably warranted one, he can at least count himself, unfortunately, not to have got that chance. And it's interesting, it's not just Gloucestershire fans. When we've spoken to any Gloucestershire players, it's like there's there's a kind of sort of a vow that they will bring up Chris Dent and say that he should have played for England, and they all pile in. And, and that's because, I mean, when was the last time Gloucestershire had a test cricketer? John Lewis, I think, probably John Lewis. Which... I can't
1: think of anyone since Lewis. So, yeah. so I mean,
5: there's got to be something. I mean, it's not that like Gloucestershire don't produce any cricketers. Um... Well,
2: Bobby Bracey is probably, you know, the, the yeah. closest at the moment, isn't he? Yeah. But...
5: Well, it's probably a bit unfair, really, that he's leapfrogged... Then really, in terms of at least in terms of record, I, I don't, I can't say in terms of technique and what they will offer. But then done more to state that claim. His ent- I was actually I interviewed Chris Broad last week. He was talking about having to leave Gloucestershire to go to Notts to to get an England call up, and he got one a few months later, even though he hadn't got many runs that season. So you can see it's it's not a it's not just a recent problem for, for Gloucestershire players.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, every time we post a stat about Chris Dent on the Wisden social channels, you'll tell you can see all the gloss, not all of them, but a lot of the Gloucester players. whatsapp has gone round? Yeah, right exactly. Everyone <laughs> the yeah, yeah, tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben, you want to talk about Ben, folks? Uh, always. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that,
4: that, that, that's always true, but especially so this week. Uh, yeah, I, I was I, so I was watching it sort of on the on the stream and the highlights while I was at Lords. But he looked as he has often done recently, kind of just a cut above the county level uh, it's it's how he kind of looked at the end of 2017 when I remember him making sort of a, a brilliant sort of unbeaten smallish score but just looked so so classy uh at the end of uh that can campaign, and, th- and then got an ashes call up and actually even before the season when he won the test call up in Sri Lanka had looked like he'd gone away from that a little bit but there was a, a game against Kent at the end of last season where he got a 100 in the first innings and then an unbeaten knock in the second and sorry just lost it and he was the only sorry player to get any runs and uh and he, yeah, he he just looked looked very, very assured. And it was the same this time. He played that sort of that back foot on drive that basically only he can play almost. Uh, and I think that it's obviously in the conversation, it's, you know, uh, we know he's a very good batsman. We know that Joss Butler, we know what he can do. We know that Ben Fogues is a, a brilliant keeper. But I think one thing that needs to be remembered is that players can just get better and worse and be in and out of form. And he, and he looks right now, like he's in his, kind of as good form with the bat as he's ever been. I think it's only three games, but he's averaging over 90 for Surrey since the start of last year. Um and that needs to just be kept in mind when it comes to the selection debates
2: that he, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's <laughs> going to be a good test. He, he can really play. I mean there's no there is no doubt at all that he's good enough. He's a good enough batsman to hold down a, a, a spot at number 7, a traditional keeper spot at number 7. No no doubt in my mind. Um whether or not that space will become available is 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 moot, but if it does, he's good enough to take it for sure. Um just another another thing, Mark Lane, first win as coach. Even though I think he's on trial still, isn't he? Is he? Is he he's assisting. He's,
5: he's Ian Harvey. Is assistant. he assisting? So they're both. Harv. They're both on. They're trial, both. I they're think.
2: both trialling for the for the gig yeah. after Richard Dawson left. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of. Um, there's just been a mural put up, isn't there, to uh, to Boo Boo in in Bristol somewhere. Have you seen the pics of it? No, got, I haven't. Got I haven't it in the upcoming it. magazine. No, actually, um, great. And you know, great man, great Gloucester man, and um, you know, wish him. All the very best, um, and you know, let's not to say that Ian Harvey isn't either. You know, cause he's also a also a great man, I mean, he's been through some personal hardship as well in the last in the last two or three years. Um, and so they're in good hands, Gloucestershire. So uh, you know, congratulations, a great win. I mean, they outplayed Surrey pretty much from from the start
4: yeah and it was one of those must have been really really satisfying wins where you're on top from the start but also you win it late on the final day because i think even on that final morning because when ben Vogt was going sorry, about 300 for five and ahead by about 200 and you think that at that point everything has to go absolutely perfectly for Gloucester to have a sniff they've got to get sorry out really quickly they've got to bat really really well not lose wings keep them in hand maybe have a dash at the end and they end up winning it with 20 overs to spare it was an incredible performance in that final day and all the way through
2: Butch, what's your moment of the week? Moment of the week is uh, is my man Ricardo uh, Vasconcelos making hundred for for Northants. Um, mainly because I really struggled to pronounce his name the first time <laughs> I saw him on on comms at Sky, and secondly because I didn't I've not mentioned him in sort of dispatches um, about sort of players to watch or anything like that. But the first time I saw him, I thought there was a, there was a certain amount of um, GP Thorpe about him, um, and in the last you know last season last season he scored. Uh, he's got a good handful of handful of runs, um, and he started off this one with, with a bit of a bang as well, making hundred against Kent. So, I'm uh, you know he's somebody to keep an eye on, I think, because he's got he's got some real talent against all all types of bowling, um, and he's no is not shabby in the in the white ball stuff either. Although, I, I would say if he was going to push for honours, it would be in the longer game. Mm.
1: Um, yeah, as, as mentioned earlier, there, there were a lot of hundreds in the first round of fixtures. Um, Worcesters Jake Libby. Uh, batted for 11 hours and 21 minutes for Worcester against Essex. There's only been one county championship innings in history that's been longer in terms of minutes. and That was Jason Gallian's 312 for Lancashire versus Derbyshire in 1996. Libby has scored more runs in English first-class cricket um, than anyone else since the start of last year. Um, another man has scored 100. Joe, was was Billy Root, who's part of your moment of the week?
5: Yes, so my moment of the week was uh, was two battles between two pairs of siblings separated by 5,000 or so miles. Uh, so yeah, headingly, we had the Roots doing battle. We had uh, a battle won comprehensively by Billy in the end, who got, what, 43 in the first innings and then scored brilliant unbeaten 100 in second innings, uh, scoring the runs that brought him to 100 off Joe Root, <laughs> who looked really annoyed as well, which I was really yeah. pleased about as well. He was kind of holding his head <laughs> as, the, as, the, as he got those runs. He thought he could give him that one. And it's not like Joe hasn't scored enough hundreds in his in his career um and then i think pretty much simultaneously over at the Wankedi in in mumbai the Currens were doing battle sam for the chennai super kings and and tom for delhi capitals uh and that was very much the the kind of the battle was won by sam but but tom's side won the won the war but sam really took him to pieces there i think it, tom opened with a wide and then i think it went i think it's four, it was 4 6 6 wasn't it i think uh, and it looked like almost that kind of the occasion maybe got the better of tom i think he wanted to win so much that he he let a couple of not particularly good deliveries out and sam i mean he just he just launched them it was just the classic sam Curran cameo that we're starting to come used to um and tom looked so gutted at the end uh i felt quite sorry for him especially the the older brother but well, it's both younger brothers coming out on top in these in these uh sibling rivalry yeah I, nice see.
1: I, I feel like Tom kind of resorted to backyard cricket tactics where if you're the older brother I'm an older brother we start bumping the younger brother if you're if you're in a bit of trouble Um but I was thinking it must be really strange for brothers particularly in T, T20 cricket at the moment where you have these uh, in-depth um team meetings on on the weaknesses and strengths of the opposition and you must be talking about like your so brother's his weaknesses. brother he's the one to go yeah after, exactly that it? must be pretty odd
5: but it made me think well first of all but it made me think you must have come come up against your brother Gary at points but then I thought even more than your brother I remembered you made your list day debut against yeah, your dad yeah, your I dad did. was there and I got the scorecard it's a great one so this is your professional debut you were what 19
2: years old yeah 1991 it was your dad 37 38 or so uh, I be 50 I He was born 54 yeah
5: it's 37 yeah so Al Butch batting at 4 M Butch taking the new ball
2: yeah, we had a few injuries. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I bowled it. him, match. It doesn't look like it because you had three overs number sixteen,
5: and he. It looks like he came in after after your spell, yeah. and then you come in at number nine and slap. I'm. I'm going to say a quick forty eight. I haven't actually got the balls faced. Here, no, it, it was.
2: It was. It was quick. It was. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we were in desperate trouble. I think, and. Um, I managed to slog a few. At the end, I needed a six to win off the last ball. And Is that right? Okay. The old man, the old man, stuffed me. He kind of, he stopped Basil Barwick halfway through his run up and kind of moved the field around and built the drama. There was quite a few in actually. It was here at the Oval. It was quite a big crowd. In my first game, and um, and I and for some daft reason, sort of like the the break made my brain stop working, and I'd kind of I'd been batting a little bit, you know, quite a long way out of my crease to Baz, and I'd kind of you know walked around and to just take my guard in the normal spot, and sure enough, he got the last ball straight up in the block hole and i could only jab it back to him like that the old man was delighted so your dad yeah. got in your head, got right? in head. <laughs> like mind games appalling behavior
5: but i just thought getting all that way getting to your professional debut and then you turn up and you're up against your dad, Playing against your God, dad <laughs> yeah uh, no it was good
2: it was all good no it was good good memory good and it was the only i think it was the only time we never played with each other and I mean that was the only time we played against each other yeah i
3: thought
4: it was interesting just make a cricketing point to see uh, Chris Wokes bowling, taking the new ball in that game and uh, bowling bowled, pretty well. He
5: bowled beautifully.
4: Yeah. And I think...
2: Well, is, he's had a rest anyway. Yeah, true. His <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> first uh, yeah. game Especially, in any format
1: since September.
4: And his first T20 <laughs> game of any sort since 2018. Really? His last T20 wicket was Callum Parkinson of Leicestershire. Wow. And now he's a... Uh, but he bowled beautifully
5: bowled, got a, uh, an early wicket with just a classic away swinger and you think there is still room for this bowling when the ball's doing a bit for admittedly about six balls but he's still a good man to exploit that Uh, and actually should be said we've talked about Tom Curran uh, I suppose negatively a bit over the last few weeks he actually bowled really nicely until Sam took him to pieces Um, but I would say we're talking about about Wokes v Tom Curran for possibly a spot in England's T20 World Cup squad I think Wokes definitely looked the the better bowler in that match
4: Yeah it's interesting I kind of think that chris wokes has fallen out of the conversation it's kind of almost his, his own doing like if he talked about himself in the way that joe root talks about his own t20 prospects then he would be in in the conversation if chris, if every time chris wokes was asked he was saying like yeah i'd love to be in that squad i'm doing everything i can sort of thing that'd be fine but actually when he gets asked he's like oh you know i understand that you can't play all formats and you have to be rested for some things and well, other nice guys probably had a new... this is the, <laughs> yes, this is yeah, the problem. yeah <laughs> uh, but I, I think there's there's slight hints that that's Maybe starting to change. Not that he's any less nice, but that he's realizing he might have talked himself up a bit, and he's you know sort of hinted that he was a little bit frustrated over the winter and that sort of thing. You know, he, you know, he's still Chris Wokes. He's not going to go out and slam anyone and say it's it's tough being me or anything. But uh that that could be what he needs. He's just like a little bit more, put himself forward a little bit more, and uh, I don't I don't see any reason why he couldn't make a late run for that T Twenty World Cup uh, squad at least, even yeah. if he's not going to make it in the first team. No, mm. I agree.
1: It's nearly been six years since he played for England in T29 cricket, so a very long time. Um, ben, this isn't actually your moment of the week, but you do want to get into it. Um, so we mentioned the the Hampshire-Leicester game. Hampshire won that. By James Vince got his double hundred. Liam Dawson scored a hundred as well. Um, but there's one very interesting moment that, that drew the ire of Paul Nixon.
4: Uh, yeah, well, it was the, the, the stumping that wasn't, but was, I guess, from uh, Lewis McManus of, of Hassan's ad uh so i'll if you haven't seen it go and look out. It's on our on the wisdom twitter feed but i'll try and describe it so McManus sort of takes the ball in his right glove has kind of a a half shy at the stumps while he's sort of appealing uh for a catch i think or half-heartedly appealing for a catch and then sort of deliberately flicks the bails off with his left glove which isn't holding the ball so he's still sort of half-heartedly appealing for a catch everyone else with on... the ball in his right hand exactly yeah, yeah. everyone else in the hampshire side is appealing to the square leg umpire for a stumping i guess seeing the bales on the floor the square leg umpire gives azad out uh stumped and then mcmanus i guess at this so so up until that point you could argue that mcmanus hasn't done anything wrong i mean you know keepers flick the bales off all the time They're you know strange creatures i guess uh he uh he he, he was looking at the balls at umpire the whole time but at that point he realizes that azad has been given out stumped and doesn't do anything to sort of say actually he wasn't stumped because i wasn't holding the ball in the hand that flicked the bales off uh so yeah and and but I, I, there's been a, a lot of outrage really which is not something you associate with uh a counter cricket incident that much i guess that's the the thing with these live streams and the you know clipping things up and putting them on twitter it means people can sort of analyze and pour over these things which is you know good for the visibility of the game and maybe not so good for you know L- lewis mcmanus and uh the possibility of him getting punished or
1: without the live stream i don't think anyone would have realized it because none of the players at the time made a deal of it at, at all it was only mm. spotted on the live stream
4: james james Vince has even said that they were only made aware of the issue a few overs later and we were only made aware of the issue because paul nixon lester's head coach sort of messaged us a slow-mo of the thing uh and then we said oh that that's interesting if you've got a comment and then he said so it was something pretty, pretty punchy basically saying uh Uh, well he he gave a quote the next it was like I've never in all my years of playing I've ever seen something like this and then he said that they were shocked or called called it a shocking incident and stuff
2: are you shocked by it (laughs) Birch well I I, the the keepers had a nightmare because the keeper realising the the dismissal has been given stumped should immediately have just said ah no sorry can't be I've got the I've got the ball in the wrong hand now even if the rest of the fielders had no idea the keeper knew Mm -hmm. how could he not um, and I suppose it's you know welcome welcome to the world of international cricket as you guys you've got cameras on you all the time now. Um, interesting that Nico was so upset as, as I recounted that tale from a couple of weeks Ooh, that, ago about him, I <laughs> <to you>. about, <laughs> about him about pre- him pretending that he'd he'd fumbled the ball and it had gone behind him for buys and then as I stepped out whipping the bales off you know we didn't have a live stream on that. If they, imagine that had a live stream on it back in the day,
1: maybe that's why. he's interesting you though
4: because Lewis McManus has actually done something. It wasn't quite that before, but there was a was it was it a paddle that the player went for, and then Lewis McManus like took the ball pretty casually. Uh, I don't, he didn't he didn't pretend it Is had gone this the one of him,
1: Laurie Evans, but
4: yeah, and then Laurie Evans sort of walks out of his crease looking for a single, and that's when McManus whips the bails off. That that was I don't think there was anything. Sort no, of, I'd see I, I was that was a that. live game, wasn't it yeah. on
2: the TV? No, that was just that was Laurie being dozy as all hell. I mean, mm. that was you know he he, he took the ball. Laurie sort of overbalanced and fell over, and he stumped him. It's kind of like, well, that's...
4: I, th- I think Evans thought the ball had gone, and he could well, make a yeah, chance but, but, singles, but, that but, he but
2: that was of no fault. McManus yes, had didn't turn around agreed. behind him and go, "Oh yeah. no, I've missed it." Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is which is what Nico did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's quite a big difference in the two uh, in the two things. I mean, look, <laughs> standing umpire also. I mean, again, this goes back to something that I've been saying for, for probably is decades now. That in, in the case of your, your two standing umpires, when you've got no TV umpire, that the guys should work together and should be able to come together in, before making a decision about bat pads. Because very often, because it's down to the standing umpire to give out a bat pad on the field. But so often, and I know this from fielding square of the wicket, silly point or short leg something is far more visible standing square of the wicket than it is standing in front of the wicket just because of the, the you know, 2D sight down the pitch and you get that extra extra view of what has happened standing square on. So more often than not, I've even spoken to square leg umpires and we say, well, Christ, he nicked that, didn't he? I said, well, why don't you tell your mate at the other end? You know, there is no protocol that sort of says that the standing umpire can turn to the, can turn to the square leg umpire and say, did, 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 you know, I heard something, I wasn't sure. Did you see a nick there? And you make the right, you make the decision that way. Why is it okay to go upstairs to a third umpire on the television to ask his opinion or to get his opinion for a decision? But yet yeah, it's not. You can't do that with the bloke you're out there with for the entire match. That just seems daft to me. And so, therefore, you know, square leg umpire is given given the stumping out in this uh, in this occasion he probably can't see which hand the ball's in. You know, if you're standing square on and I've got the ball in this hand and I flick the bells off with the right, the back of my hand is facing the square leg umpire. He can't see whether I've got it in that hand or this hand. So the standing umpire should have said, hang on, he hasn't got it in his hand. You know, that that decision could have been made or could have been reached with the two guys working together better than they did. Yeah,
1: do. in fairness to the standing umpire, I think it was quite a hard spot. I think I had to watch it three or four times to work out what had actually happened. So... I guess, I'm, yeah, I mean, again,
2: was, that doesn't, it still doesn't change the fact that you still might not be able to come to come yeah, to a call. Yeah. But the fact that that isn't part of the protocol is mm. something that could could improve things no end, as far as I'm concerned.
5: So. I think some of the outrage about it as well was that this was a game that Hampshire absolutely thrashed Leicestershire in. It, it felt doubly mean spirited. Not that this should really make much difference, but I think it did feel doubly mean spirited because the game was very much in Hampshire's uh, grasp already, wasn't really required.
4: Yeah, what's well, also between Hassan's ads now? been victim to two of the strangest stumpings of the two recent seasons so last year he was stumped by Harvey Hussain when he was standing back so Hassan Azad sort of was I think maybe taking guards slightly outside of his crease and uh, just didn't regain his ground and Hussain had
5: a shy and uh, and there was out stump to a seamer that was properly
1: uh, dozy which that was really dozy yes was yeah.
5: it, also, it was Hassan Azad who must have been the year before last was meant to be doing some declaration bowling and then bowled an absolute fizzing leg break, (laughs) which which I I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, That'll learn you. Um, Before we get on to to the IPL section, some, some fixture news. Uh, The test between England women and India women that we talked about a few weeks ago has been officially confirmed by the ECB. It'll start on June the 16th. So it will barring a two day finish coincide with some of the world test championship final, which, which, which is a bit of a shame, I think. Um, and some hundred news, uh, Sky Sports have announced that every women's game and most men's game will be available to watch for free on their YouTube channel. Uh, the, the Telegraph have also reported that wickets will be described as outs. Does anyone have any strong opinions on this? Because a lot of people on Twitter do.
4: I wouldn't say strong opinions. I'd say <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm broadly indifferent. I, I can see some of the logic i think that they will probably be described both as outs and wickets if they do end up using the phrase outs mostly because you can't you know uh you can't teach a commentator who's who's referred to something as wickets all their life to suddenly refer to something as something else and not certain to get it wrong sometimes uh i think when i am trying to explain cricket to someone who's never like sort of played or or watched it before i will use the ter- the word out or outs because if they're more likely to have seen baseball i guess uh and you know, it's a bit of free publicity to say something to rile up the Twitter crowd and uh, and and let well, sort did, of the uh, yeah, angry they, quote they've tweets. They've done uh, that since that did cross the my tweets. mind.
5: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah I, to be honest, I can't be bothered until we actually see if it plays out. There's so much we've been talking about this for about three years now. Uh, I've been at this point of let's see how it plays out and then <laughs> let's comment for quite a while now. To be honest,
2: yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, look, I, I'm I'm very much of the opinion that, that language. Um, is as complicated or as simple as, as as you want it to be, um. And that, if you have multiple names for the same thing, um, does adding another one make anything any clearer to people? I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, is I, the I, is the answer? Um. You know. But pre, but pre, pre, presuming that you're teaching a whole new vernacular to a load of to to, to people who have never who don't understand it in the first place. If you're teaching something to somebody at the, from the first time, you might as well call them what it's co- tell them what it's called, right? What we're talking about here is either whether or not it's somebody watching the game for the first time. Do you make it simpler for them by calling something something that it's not called? Or do you just call it what it's called? And, and you know, they, they will learn that if they're hearing it for the first time. Or are we saying that certain people have, um, have been turned off the game of bat and ball and catch by the fact that a wicket is called a wicket and not an out. Well, that's what I'll leave that. I will leave that. to believe, I'll leave that, that to you to to, yeah. to, to, to decipher.
1: I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it, but no. I do think that if you do, if you if the eventual aim is to get people watching the other forms of cricket as well, then it is confusing if you have different terms for stuff. In the, in the format well, what, that they got into cricket through.
5: Yeah, I mean, what that does is completely show that as false. If that, if, if you can't have both things. You can't have See, so he, he's got an opinion now. <laughs> what now. He has his yep. <laughs> it can't, on the one hand, be a kind of baby step towards proper cricket, but also we're going to have to change all the names of things because people just won't understand. Those two things are, are mutually uh, exclusive. So pick one.
1: Absolutely. Um, Before we get to the IPL section of the show, uh, a message about a couple of our sponsors. So firstly, Kirkstall Brewery have made an Indian pale lager with bundo bust leads to coincide with the IPL in 2021. Hopped with Citra, Simcoe and Amarillo, IPL is the perfect blend of a juicy IPA and a crisp lager. 12 can packs are available at www.kirkstallbrewery.com. I thought you about
5: to... Crack them out there, no, yes? No, unfortunately, that, not. Oh, unfortunately, not. Although we should try Will and we arrange that. that on YouTube. Like?
1: Oh, I don't know, but we should try and arrange it Shout for next those. week's like, show. Send <laughs> us, yeah. send us some. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know, it makes sense. As mentioned on last week's show, we've partnered with Who Knows Wins for the IPL, a, a social sports game where mates, families, and colleagues can pit their wits against each other for real money and bragging rights. Um, we 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 played this last week uh, on on week one. Ben is leading the way so far out of the podcast panelists. Mm-hmm. Um, so well done, well done Ben um, we should mention didn't mention it on last week's show that if any of the Wisdom panel do win the pot the money goes to Charles to Shine We're not, this is not a way of us to try, try and get, get some money a reminder to sign up to, to week two of the IPL by Wisdom League that starts on Friday download the Who, Knew, Who Knows Wins app in the app store and head to the cricket section to take part for your chance to win the pot this week um, the more people that enter, the bigger the price pot. And if you think you know more about the IPL than any, any of us, this is your chance to prove it. Um, ben, any any tips for the week ahead?
4: Yeah, I like, I like that I'm now our, our gambling expert. Having, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I've ever actually placed a, a bet in in anger or otherwise in my life. Uh, so, but yeah. So think, all right, don't rub it in. <laughs> the thing that I found interesting, to be honest, is that, uh, so we had as our first market, obviously you have the, the you choose who wins or loses, but you also have, picking who gets the most sixes in each game and I've obviously you know heard it said a lot that the team that hits the most sixes uh most of the time will win the game in t20 cricket and that has actually not been the case so far so I've so whoever I thought would win I would put as the six winner and so while I've got all four results right so far I've only got one of the four most sixes right so far uh so it is worth just keeping in mind I think that uh like you know the relative power-packedness of the two batting lineups versus who actually has the best team and the best chance of winning And those that might actually not be the same thing despite what you've heard about t20 cricket before it it might have
2: something to do with bowling attacks mightn't it Mm. the game that the game that um that that nobody wants to be a bowler in wrong being a good bowler is very very important (laughs) um Hence RCB turning over Mumbai earlier on. In the, that that in the should week.
1: be our no, new uh, pod intro music. Did you oh. see? <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I mean, it, you know, it is. It's it's stunning, stunningly important. Yes. Mm. Uh, well, RCB have have proven the point beyond doubt, haven't they? Over the last however many years with. Yeah. Maybe the Villiers and Gale and Coley, etc., but haven't come within a ball's bottom of, uh, of winning an IPL yet. Yeah. This time might be different, though. And because, yeah. Because and they have a, They look like they've got a, a scene bowling attack that might actually be able to, to help them out a bit at the end if if they're winning the first match. Is anything to go by?
1: Mm. So we're recording this show uh, during the fifth game of the tournament. So after the fourth game, which which was the Sandy Sampson game, really. Oh, no, that um, was... Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, Ben, that that was actually one moment of the week.
4: Yeah, it was, and then one particular moment, which was the penultimate ball of the innings, when he uh, sort of hit the ball out to the sweeper on the boundary, uh, and then turned Chris Morris down for a run. Uh, Chris Morris obviously when well, they been needed a, five off two. Yes, yeah, so they yeah. needed need five or two. Yeah, Chris Morris having been the what the the most expensive overseas player ever in the IPL auction at the start of this year, and picked that was quite a lot based on his death hitting prowess to then turn down that superstar when you're in your first game as captain. At first, my first reaction was, wow, that's an incredibly gutsy move and, you know, kind of hope it pays off because if it doesn't, that's going to be the story. And the second reaction was, that's absolutely the right call because he was 119 or out playing the innings of his life. Uh, Because they needed five off two, it kind of didn't make a difference if they hit a a four or six off the last ball. So if they hit a four, if Samson hit a four, having turned down the single, it would have gone to a super over.
5: And I guess he would have backed himself to win that with the form he was in uh also samson was finding it as easy to hit sixes as he was to hit fours exactly yeah. and morris hadn't managed to middle a ball from the four or five he'd faced at that point yeah I, yeah I agree it was one of those things that seemed shocking at the time because it was not what you would expect but actually i think it was a really cool-headed sensible thing to do that very very nearly came off yeah
4: well. ended up skying uh, well not skying it, it, it when it came off as bat, I, I thought it was it six. Like the it was gone, thought it? Was six and then uh just settled in the in the hands of the fielder, but I no, mean the question brilliant. you ask
2: is what was what was the the, the guy who'd been who'd been bought for tons and tons of money as a finisher doing coming in at number nine anyway? Mm. I mean that's kind of that's more the question. And and, and, and Jimmy Nisham actually was in, involved in as he as he does. He's quite entertaining on Twitter during the tournaments. He's been sat there with the uh, with the bib on for um, Mumbai Indians, which he might find himself doing quite a bit. Um, but he, he's defending the tactic, you know, saying look, he he he. Calculated that it was more likely that he was going to be able to hit hit a six or a four than Chris Morris was on 119 not out, and I think it's a, a perfectly perfectly reasonable calculation to make. But what was he doing back at nine?
4: Yeah, almost one of those where you can you know get almost two caught up in in matchups ups and uh, you know ideal entry points and that sort of thing to realise that your your best player should kind of come in like at a reasonable point in the order, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: I mean, give himself you know he faced he faced four deliveries, didn't he? he got t- I mean, how do you how the hell you know, you've got a guy at the other end who's going gangbusters. He actually had he had enough time to get Morris in whilst while Sampson Samson was going as as berserk as that and give himself another three or four balls before he could open his own shoulders. So perhaps that the uh, the fault lies there rather rather than with Sandy mm. It wasn't. It was, it was
5: astonishing. Not and yeah. if you watch a reasonable amount of T Twenty, it's quite easy to fall into the trap of every other game saying you've seen one of the greatest knocks the format's ever seen but I think this was one of the great <laughs> certainly in terms of IPL knocks that I've seen yeah. Uh, the, the, the cleanness of the hitting uh, the fact that he could hit to so many areas as well he just looked so difficult to, to bowl to and some of the bowling wasn't wasn't great but it is scary when you watch a guy like that and you think was well, he 26, 27 Yeah, now? I think
1: he's 20, 26 um, And he's
5: played what? 7 or 8 T20s for India? Yeah and and The talent they've got is is terrifying and, and perhaps they should have used him more maybe they haven't used him enough but even so, that, that he, if he can't get a game, that is, that is uh, seriously saying something.
1: He's quite inconsistent. So that's his third yeah. IPL 100. Um, so only six batsmen have scored three or more IPL 100. So it's an elite club. Um, but all those hundreds have come off the first game of the season, which is quite a weird quirk statistical quirk and yeah he, um, he
4: often seems to start seasons quite well and then you think this is going to be the season where sanju sampson proves he's like the most because actually the, the you know you know respected pundits you think he's the most exciting of that kind of next crop of indian players even though he's the one with like the least impressive record and it's because he hasn't put together that you know sizable campaign where he's done it every single game in the way that you know ishan kishan did last year or Pant has at times
5: He's also not got astonishing numbers in uh, Red Bull cricket as well. When he, like, they, they don't stack up against the rest of that kind of generation of Indian batting talents. Not that really matters in T20 cricket, but he, he, there is that suggestion that he's kind of, at all formats, fallen a bit short of, of what he should have done. But when you watch him like that, I mean, he's, he's unbelievable to watch.
1: Yeah. Um, KL Rahul played a brilliant innings of that game as well for, for uh, the Punjab Kings, as we call them now. Um, and what, one thing I think is quite interesting is he got a lot of Flack last year for his his strike rate, um, and he he actually said himself that he thought that strike rates were overrated, which is an interesting thing to say as a as a captain in in T Twenty cricket. Um, but I I wonder if he, he's kind of uh, restricted by his side's batting order. They had Jai Richardson coming in at seven, and I know they did really really well. Deepak Hooda played an in amazing innings, but um, if you're an opening batsman in a team that's got a seven like Jai Richardson, you can bat, but he's not like a proper all rounder, I guess. Um, I guess that limits what he, how he can really
4: bat. Possibly. I, I kind of got the impression that his change of approach was more down to kind of instructions, or not not, not instructions, but sort of, uh, you know, gleaned lessons from the India team and management where they kind of will say things like, you know, you've got to be a bit more responsible. You've got to, you know, do this consistently and that sort of thing, when actually responsibility and consistency are kind of overrated traits in T20 cricket, I think. Like, you don't, you, you'd you rather have the batsman who scores you 30 or 15 once every five games and the batsman who scores you 50 or 40 like once every two or three games uh the first batsman is always more valuable i think um and that's something that is still being learned i think and rahul has gone away from being well to be honest uh, there was times when he was you know the batsman was scoring 50 or 25 every time and he's uh went to being still very consistent but just not with that strike rate and if you can get back to being that batsman again then india going to be huge favourites actually c 20 World Cup because he was so good for
5: quite a while. Some of this has to come down to form though, right? I find it interesting, a lot of the T20 debate is as though batsmen are choosing their strike rate well, or choosing how they play. I mean, it's not...
2: Yeah, I, I, he, I tend to agree with you there. Quite often, you will see a batsman kind of make, perhaps make the choice, and you can tell he's made the choice by the fact that he might be middling the ball but might be middling the ball into gaps or hitting the ball along the ground for twos then you can probably you can say without without any degree of being of being wrong okay well he's choosing to sit in here maybe because the guy at the other end is going berserk but other times you see guys with a strike rate of you know of 100 and they're swinging like a rusty gate and just can't can't hit it you know it's, it's not they've, not, quite they've lot, not made though, they've not made a decision to kind of to reel it in they just cannot find the middle of the bat and that amazingly even with these new bats happens extraordinary
4: I think Rahul last, <laughs> Rahul last season was much more the former, I think, because he, he was often starting really quickly and then kind of going into a shell. Like he had a really good power play strike rate and was then, and because he, he was well a very, they scored a lot of runs, him and Ma and Kaguela at the top of the order, but Aguela was scoring really quickly and he, he was kind of playing that bat around me type role. But he, even that, you know, if if you get off to a flyer, there isn't or, or some Again, result, not is a downside. That, is to that, does that also hardest? have
2: something to do with the, the depth of the batting line up you're playing in? You know, if you're if you're playing for if you're playing for England and international side and you just you know, everybody just puts the the foot to the floor because there's no need to to protect the last six overs or whatever. But some teams, even in franchise cricket, just don't have the depth and so people get off to a fly and then think to themselves, Well, I'm my job here is to bat through. Um, and that's you know that's a very old that's a very old school way of thinking about about playing particularly T twenty cricket. Um, it still works, I think, in fifty overs. But in twenty cricket, twenty over cricket, if you've got the depth, there's no need for it.
1: Especially in the IPL, I think uh, the IPL is is obviously the the T twenty league with the highest stand in the world. But because of how good. Certain individuals are. It's really difficult if you're a, if you're a domestic batsman who's not played international cricket, just coming in to bat six and go from ball one. So actually, batting lineups are more top heavy almost than you find in other competitions in the IPL relative to the the average standards. And, so and, you the, get bowl- and a lot. the
2: bowling standards in general higher too, aren't they? Yeah, than other exactly. than other franchise competitions, you've got yeah. the best of the best. um You know, death bowlers, best spin bowlers, mm, definitely. Um, um, so you know there is no there is no easy time to sort of come in and, and, and have a bit of a whack and so perhaps teams do do play a little bit for through the middle um, mm. you know in order to save themselves for a bit at the end I don't know
1: but as you mentioned that RCB beat Mumbai in the first game of the season they won off the last ball Harshal Patel took a five wicket haul three of which in the last over which I I think shouldn't count in the same way for a fifer. Like um, Stephen, like, World like Patrick, yeah. like right. Stephen. Should, we, should World we come
2: up? up we maybe come up with a new bit of terminology. We, we, we for do. That. We, we do
1: need a new name for it. Sorry, hat tricks. Yeah, I think those hat tricks and, and fifers need, need their own 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 name. I mean, well, you saying, saying that difficult. as a bowler. it, has, it is I difficult enough. You. Yeah, but I've never actually took a fifer like that. But it's probably your best chance of getting one. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, but the
2: interesting thing about that is, you know. R C B managed to sort of to to, to get over the line. Mm. But in, in Jameson Siriage went four four overs number twenty two. Harsh or you know five of the merits of the the, the wickets almost don't count, but the twenty seven does. Yeah. You know. Um so you know, all of a sudden they got guys who couldn't who know what they're doing a little bit with the ball. Um, and that's that's basically been the difference between them winning one and, and perennially sort of struggling to get themselves into playoffs. Um and they- before. So, you know, if they if they can keep keep a group together that are and, and a lot a lot depends on kind of getting that break in the first couple of games as well. If you kind of like you feel like the bowlers feel like they've got a bit of confidence, the captain has a bit more confidence in them. Um, you know, you can pull things out of the fire a little bit. Um whereas R C B sides of of, of your of, of seasons gone by have just got used to getting flogged. Um and once you have that, and once it starts happening, it becomes impossible to stop because it's just a case of here we go again. So could be could be a significant start for the uh, for Kohli's boys.
1: Mm, and and for all the talk of their historic batting power, they, they've actually probably got one of the best groups of domestic bowlers, especially the, the spinners, having Sundar and Chahal. I know Chahal's not quite bold um, at the level he he's previously reached, but as a as a great pair. Yeah, um,
4: go on. The, well, just uh, what's interesting about interesting to see how Siraj and Jamison kick on from here because Siraj had a, he struggled in the IPL a bit last year and looked and you know looked like a brilliant red Bull bowler as he is in the in the test against. Australia and England, but you wondered if it's good that he's kind of taken that into the IPL. And then Carl Jameson was almost one of those kind of like old school style IPL auction picks, where he's done really well against India in Test cricket, and then is snapped up for a huge price. You're wondering actually how good a T20 bowler is this guy. He was quite expensive, I think, in uh, some of the home T20s that New Zealand yeah. played this year. Yeah. Uh, so for him to, to do that and kind of prove himself from game one. First of all, means that he's like, he's kind of already justified that price tag a bit. It won't be the thing. Like, you know, if he goes for 14 that first spell, and then people are saying, like, Oh, you paid all this money for this guy, then he's got that extra bit of pressure in him, which is now alleviated quite a bit, I think. Uh, and also, if, he sh- if he's just that good, then actually shows it's a really can- canny bit of business uh, for, I guess, an undervalued T20 bowler. And yeah, they do have the makings of a really good
1: attack. Yeah, just one game, though. I no, think. Yeah, but, no, yeah I, I know. Yeah. That,
4: that, that's what. what yeah. I was it's interesting to see how they go from here. But, yeah,
1: um, Joe, you were impressed by Marco Jansen, who we talked about earlier and I wasn't quite sure he was going to play but he not only played but he did really well for Mumbai
5: I think it was a surprise that he played I was I wasn't sure he'd play at all in the tournament yeah. to it seemed like it might be a kind of he's there for the experience but obviously not I felt very sorry for him in the end that I thought he bowled a really really good last over under pressure at the Villiers. um pretty much nailed every delivery but he just didn't have quite enough runs to play with but um I was going to say there's not much of him. That's not right, is it? Because he's yeah. six foot seven, but there's not much of him yeah, that know, way, width wise. He's mean. really. I mean, he's got a lot of filling out to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks like South Africa have found another quick bowler there.
1: I, I, I know I, I mentioned this last time we talked about it, but I can't believe that. We're discovering a South African quick in the IPL. That's, that's not really how it's supposed to work these days. But um, anyway, what great start for him. Prithvi Shaw, who we talked about last week, scored 72 off 38 in Delhi's come to win over CSK. So it looks like he has found form this year. Um, mentioned Sam Curran's 34-15. Chris Wokes bowled well in that game. Um, in the other game, KKR beat Sunrise Hyderabad. on Singh, who who was playing for India for 18 months by the time Shudman Gill was born, is playing. That was my main takeaway from that game.
2: Besto at five? Uh, four, four, I think. Rydman. No, okay. No, no issue with that, perhaps, okay. because he's doing it for England. But Riddham and Sahar opening the batting.
1: He, he did really well in mm. the few games he opened at the end of last of the no, last quarter. not having it. I, but I think it's quite interesting that Trevor Bayliss has since said that if Williamson was fit for that game, Williamson would have played ahead of Bester, which I think is is mad, given how... I know Williamson's done well in the IPL but Bairstow's been so good in T20 cricket now he's got an amazing IPL record um, opening the batting yeah but he's got a good record for England in the middle order and he did well in his one game in the middle order here um, and I think Williamson is really good on, um, on quite difficult pitches he can score quite quickly on difficult pitches
2: but if or maybe Johnny's just thinking to himself I'm not going to open the batting for England I need to score mountains of runs for number, at number four mm-hmm. for Sunrisers Hyderabad maybe that's what it is yeah
1: what do you guys think about besto batting at four and
5: uh yeah it seems odd it's, it, as ever besto's career is always complicated there's always things that don't quite fall into place for him and this seems to be another example whether it's yeah england picking him at four as led sunrises to this point yeah the fact that he wouldn't have been playing at all seems a bit odd to me who were the over, other overseas players in, in that? that game
1: Naby played so Naby, Rashid Rashi khan Naby Rashi warner. khan warner yeah. Um, yeah. that, there, was a good, there was a good piece <laughs> Jason by Jason Roy's not playing funnily enough yeah. Well, this is it. so yeah
5: <laughs> it's going to be it's not looking good for Jason Roy as we sort of predicted a couple of weeks ago
1: yeah there's a good piece by Ben Jones at, at Crickviz about how they could potentially play both Bairstow and Williamson so uh, Abdul Samad who came in lower downs only 19 he looked really good for Sunrisers and if they kind of trust him more um, they can kind of uh, fudge the overs that Naby would have bowled otherwise elsewhere and play both Williamson and Besto in the middle which is, is an option or Bi- open or opens with well Williams yeah if, you, if
2: Williamson was in that middle order you'd think that Berstow had to open there, yes yeah had, absolutely had to um but anyway
4: I, I don't mind best four, personally uh and I I, I mean it's it, it's I guess it's odd to have Saha opening when you know Besto you would say it was a better opener but I guess it's about you know maximizing players strengths and minimizing their weaknesses I think that Sahar is he's much better as an opener than he is elsewhere he's got a, an IPL final 100 opening the batting yeah. I think um about so, 10 years ago <laughs> yeah sure sure and, and, it, and it's interesting seeing how he's been in test cricket uh that he's now like that last year because he, he was properly good that was one of the things that really gave summarizer that kind of late surge at the end of last year was him opening the batting and Jason Holder coming in uh so I think that i like I and, and yeah Best was showing that he's a very good number four and especially against spin which is if you if you can take down the spinners in the middle overs of an IPL game That's a hugely valuable thing, I think, because of uh, how strong some of these spin attacks are. Mm,
1: Absolutely. Um, Anyway, a quick roundup of the rest of the international game this week. Uh, Pakistan ended up winning that ODI series against South Africa 2-1. Bab Razam scored a pretty quick 94 in the the series decider. And the T20I series is currently nicely poised at 1-1 with a game to go. In New Zealand, Australia women extended their ODI winning streak to 24 games as they beat New Zealand 3-0. As we mentioned at the start of the show, the Wisdom Cricketers Almanac 2021 is out now. Head to wisdom.com forward slash shop to get yourself a copy. Um, you've probably seen who the five cricketers of the year are by now, but if you haven't, drum roll, please. They are Zach Crawley, Dom Sibley, Darren Stevens, Jason Holder, and Mohamed Rizwan. Uh, remember, you can't win it more than once, Um uh, as I'm sure our Twitter mentions, were going crazy today. And it's um, based on the English summer. Yes. That's the other important one yes. to mention. I think Lawrence Thank you Booth <laughs> would appreciate
5: us letting people yeah. know that.
1: Um, anyway, we, we've interviewed all five. You're going to hear from four of them now. Ben, Joe, Phil, Tar, and myself spoke to one each. You won't hear Taha's interview with Rizwan because that was in Urdu. That'll be going up just on YouTube. Uh, you'll be able to find all those interviews on YouTube in the coming days. In no particular order we start with Kent's Darren Stevens who wins the award weeks before his 45th birthday. Remarkably, Stevens is older than Saclay Stark, who was named a Wisden Cricketer of the Year 21 years ago. Stevens started his career predominantly as a batsman before slowly morphing into one of the most effective all-rounders in the county game, ripping through lineups consistently in his mid-40s with his medium pace as well as scoring over 15,000 first-class runs. And registering 35 first-class hundreds, Stevens has taken 548 first-class wickets at an average of 24.69. All 29 of his five-wicket hauls in first-class crickets have come since he turned 34. In 2020, he took 29 wickets at 15.58 for Kent in the Bob Willis Trophy. Ben spoke to him about his 2020, his extraordinary career, how he keeps going and his plans for the future.
4: Have you always enjoyed bowling then even sort of before it became uh, a major part of your game as it were
6: loved it always loved it um, um I was never really given the opportunity at Leicester to be fair if you look at the sides I, I, I always like, I played in there over the years um there was so many you know world-class all-rounders in the side you know the likes of Chris mm. Lewis, Phil Simmons, Vince Wells, Darren Maddy um, my first year was Gordon Parsons, you know, great all-rounder, you know, uh, David Milnes, um, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on. Um, so I was never really going to get the opportunity, um, even Phil DeFraeus when he came in. Um, so it was it was only when I came to Kenton to get me, um, it was Keyes, sort of stumbled across it, really. I bowled a little bit in white ball cricket. Um and then he gave me a couple of goes in championship. Um, and then there was a game up at Lanks where the game was going nowhere, really. Um, last day, um, there was there were um, six down. Um, and he I was bowling a bit with the old ball. Uh, it was due for the new ball. And he said, look, do you want to take the new ball? And I was like, yeah, why not? And I got four wickets in an over. <laughs> and he went... Oh, we might be onto something here with a new ball. And then a couple of games after, he, he gave me the new ball, and we never looked back. 24 years later, you're a, a Wizard
4: Critter <laughs> of the Year. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. So to, to, to tell, tell me about the moment that
6: you, that you found out. Was, was, was it a surprise? <laughs> surprise. A, a friend of mine who's a reporter, who's a um, um, uh, cricket uh, fanatic, um, always, he's been here for years and years and years. Uh, reported on the games and players and um, really nice guy. Uh, and he was ringing me um, to, he was talking to me about a book, actually. He wants to write a book on, on my career and life, so on. Uh, that was quite interesting. Um, and then he, he was getting that excited. He says, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you. And I was like, "What's that?" He says, "Oh, you—you've just been picked as one of the Wisdom Five of the year." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> he was more excited than I was. I was shocked more than anything, but he was, um, yeah, he was over the moon. And he was like, "You—you you just got to keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, yeah, cool."
4: It's interesting because I was thinking back to the Wisdom Almanac launch last year, which felt quite a lot different to this one. And we weren't sure at that point if we'd get any cricket in that yeah. summer at all. And obviously, given you only had a one-year contract extension from Kent before last summer was there was there a part of you that kind of worried that your career might have kind of come to an oh, end
6: without anybody? 100% 100% even though I was um because you know the last few years unfortunately you know it must be an age thing I'm, I'm not sure how they're thinking about it you know all I can remember in my at contract meetings is you, you know you're you're too old now and the wickets are flatter and you're not getting as many runs and so you're not going to be as effective with the ball and so on and so on anyway it was I don't know if that spurred me on or not but um, I did my job and um, won his games and got my wickets and runs and you know forced my way, forced them to give me another contract but um, um, you know the last four or five years it's been one year sort of rolling contracts Um, I I understand it you know except I have a bad injury and you know, I'm I'm a waste in the side, really. But um, you know, fortunately, and fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, you know, I stay fit and um, do as well as I can for Kent to win games and hopefully a trophy. Yeah, and did that drive you on, kind of last season coming about, sort of like
4: a season that it seemed quite close to this Wednesday's match started It might not happen. I think.
6: Uh, yeah, it was it was tough. Like I remember walking out of that first game at Essex, um, and you know, no crowds in there. And, you know, Essex is usually a horrid place to go play cricket, you know, whatever format it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the rivalry and, the um, you know, 11 blokes on the pitch, but it's like playing against, you know, 4,000 people. Because, <laughs> you know, whenever they've got people in, they're always on your back and it's just a real tough place to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, when we we're walking out on the pitch and there's nobody, no crowds, you know, you can see literally the odd person's sh- you know, and they're the coaches that are stradd- straddled around the place. It was all a bit, it was a bit odd and strange. It actually felt like a preseason game um, until you know you you got in amongst it and it was you know cookies at the other end and he's grinding it out and you got someone whistling it around your ear holes and it's all a little bit different and you know your, your game's back on again. But um, yeah, it took. I think it took a couple of games to sort of get into it. Um, but then when you got into it, it was. You know, um, you know, back onto the job and, um, you know, actually goes against your stats and it's, you know, big games to stay up in the championship or, you know, get through to the quarterfinal or semifinal or whatever it's going to be. and Yeah. So, um, you know, it just took a few games to get into that.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. And you sort
6: of mentioned that sometimes it kind of almost
4: spurred you on sort of the the, the contract thing. And there was that amazing spell towards the end of 2019 when you, was it was it what, you hit 88, like a quick 88, against Ashwin mm. and a few others and took 10 for and then <laughs> the next game was at double 105 for and was, I think the oldest to do that since WG Grace
6: Yeah um, I know. <laughs> I've had that chat and a couple of photos of that already but um, oh, yeah, I love it I, I think it's great it, yeah like I say it's that year um, especially I, you know I was told in June that there was no contract for me at the end of the year but you know I was still loving the game I was fit I was you know I was doing my job runs with, you know, my runs are dried up Dried up a little bit, but my there was a few little technical things that was going on in my technique and I couldn't figure it out. And, you know, the coaches couldn't put the finger on it. And, uh, you know, that batting wise, I went and saw an old coach that I worked with for for years, Simon Willis, um, who was, you know, he was a coach at Kent when I first moved down, um, you know, and it took me a couple of hours um, hitting balls in the nets and he picked up a couple of things and... Uh, it sort of made sense. So I stuck with it and, you know, the, the rest of that summer was this history. But, um, you know, that really helped me. Um, and then the other thing was like, oh, yeah, you're not getting as many wickets. Um, you know, you're playing in the first division this year and the pitches are going to be flatter and uh, you're going to struggle to get wickets. And I think I got five for every ground, every test ground in the country. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, but, you know, I just, I, I, you know, my, my job's very simple. Um, you know, I hit the stumps um and you know, hopefully people miss them and or nick them
4: is it is it as simple as as, as you make it sound because i mean there's so sometimes people almost use like b- bowlers of a certain pace who sort of uh yeah. like b- bowl out the stumps as like a way to almost do down county cricket in a way but there's a, a lot of skill right in uh and you must be like backing bats yeah. out at the same time as just like
2: being top of all yeah look the
6: it, it ball, no right? no yeah nowadays with all this um Um, technology, you sort of, you know, we sit down and do preparation on every game, every player, you know, all their main batters, even their tail enders now because, you know, is there such thing as a tail end batter now? Mm. Not many in many sides, you know, all of them can hold bats now. So it's, we go through all their batters and bowlers and, um, you know, we have game plans for most players. Um, You know, an A A game plan and a B game plan and a C game plan, you know, if it doesn't come off or certain pitches. Um, So, yeah, and, and, you know, because I've not got any pace and, you know, and somebody at my my pace who swings the ball, it's, you know, if it swings early, you get smacked. So, I'll, you know, I look to nip the ball and if I can nip it from four feet away rather than swinging it from 19 yards, 20 yards away, it's like, it's a lot harder for the batter to play it from moving later on. So that, that, look, that's all I do. I might throw the odd ball that swings early doors just to sort of put it in the batter's head, but, no, I've, I I use the seam to nip it around um, certain ways. I get it in and out, and yeah, it's, it's it's worked. It's worked so far, and hopefully it'll work again this summer. Yeah, I think one thing that a lot
4: of people are always wondering is just kind of what what's your secret, I guess, to especially just like <laughs> just even just staying fit to this to like all this time. Like even if as as you said yourself, there's not a huge amount of pace that you're still running in sort of for lots of overs a
6: day, for lots of days in the summer? Like, how how do you do it? Yeah, it, I think a lot of it will will be, you know, I didn't, I wasn't bowling at, you know, 15, 16. Mm. Um, you know, I was an opening batsman for the first, you know, five, six years of my career. Um, and bowled, bowled little bits, but not a lot. So, you know, I wasn't bowling 15, 20, 20 30 overs a game it was I wasn't bowling any in a game really so I think got you know I was bowling little bits along the way for the years and years and years and then you know it's only been the last you know uh, 10 years or so um, that I've been bowling say you know 20 overs and in innings um, but I think my body sort of you know I was a lot older um, uh, you know they nowadays they worry about bone condensity and all this sort of stuff for the youngsters and you know, I think by the time I started bowling 25 overs a day, I think my bones were pretty much sturdy, if not on the, <laughs> way, the other way around. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I think that will have a lot to do with it, not bowling until I was a lot older. Um, yeah, but... Uh, oh, what I do rely on is a party of Guinness after every day's play. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret.
7: That's
6: the secret right there. Plenty of iron. That's amazing. <laughs> but, but, like, but even
4: just like doing the... Like, I mean, I see the the, the we work at the ovals. So I see the Surrey guys going in in the gym, and even just doing just that level of gym stuff for that long must be like a is it is it a grind, or do you find that you should enjoy it basically?
6: Um, it's a grind in the summer. I, you know, I, I've admitted it. I really struggled doing the gym stuff in the summer. Um, uh, you know, when you're bowling. 25 overs and in innings, um, you know, you look at 35 to 40 overs a game. Um, you know, to go in the gym the day after or the day before, the day before is not so bad, but, you know, I don't like that just because I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, you might strain a muscle or your back. I, I stay away from all that before game. Um, but in the, in the winter, I, you know, I really enjoy it. Like the minute I'm in four days a week, um, gym session at 7 a.m., on them four days, um, and then I have a little, little steady bowling session, and then I go back to the club at um, uh, five forty-five for an hour and a half back. bat. So um, I've, I've, I've actually really enjoyed. It. It's been a bit different. It's, it's it was interesting. I was Chad to so, um, a friend of mine yesterday, and um, he was like, uh, "I was moaning about the weather." <laughs> so where we are down here, we're up on a hill, and it just does not stop raining, or misty, mm-hmm. or foggy, or um, and he was like, actually, when was the last time you sort of spent February in this country? And it was probably 26 years ago. Huh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, first full February, first full winter in, in the UK in 20 odd years. Um, so there's an, there's another answer to your question. How do you keep doing all the prep and stuff? Um, you know, the last 20 odd years I've been um, over in Cape Town or Australia or New Zealand or Sri Lanka, India, wherever. Um, yeah, so I've been, I've been very fortunate, and I'm, um, I'm, you know, I'm thankful for everything that cricket's given to me. But I've, I've been lucky enough to see, um, you know, a lot of the world through doing something I love doing.
4: Yeah, yeah. So obviously you're an, an all-rounder, and people know you now most of these days i guess as, as more of a bowler but it was sort of with the bat that you came you sort of played for the england lions around the turn of the last decade i guess uh, yeah that's right yeah um did you like obviously that was when england had a very strong team especially in in test cricket Did you did you wonder if sort of in another era you sort of might have flourished and might have won a call or do you not really think like that
6: uh, you know, I'll look back at it and I'll always look back at it thinking, I wish I'd have played for my country. And I reckon at the time I probably wasn't getting enough runs. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that period in 2009, though, where first four Champo games of the year, I got 100 in each game. Um, and that's why, I guess that's why I got picked in the, we played a tri-series against India and um, the West Indies. Um and that was, you know, I love that. And I think I averaged 80 with a bat. And I didn't do as well with a ball. Um, but we had an unbelievable side. You know, everybody that played, I reckon, everybody that played in that game or that tournament with me, or I played with them, I reckon every one of them would have played over 50 times for England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every one of them, I reckon, except for Gail from Yorkshire. Um, but everybody else that played in it, Cookie played in it, Ravi, um, Belly was playing, Trotty was playing, James Treadwell. Um, kit. You know We had an unbelievable side We won the We won the comp um, But yeah um, I think that was probably My my last And only chance then um, You know I had a great tour I had a great tour an average date With a bat um, Got 70 odd Out in the final Against India um, But never got picked It's just one of those things I think I look at it And you know I'll always be You know Gutted and disappointed For not getting picked But there's got to be reasons Why I didn't get picked Do you like to think you would have been good enough? You you don't know. I'd like to think so. You know, I played against, I played against, you know, all the best players in the world in different comps around the world. And, you know, I've done well enough. Um, You know, the years I did really well for Kent, we played against, you know, they had all overseas, you know, the best in the world at the time. And, Mm. you know, I I held my own, but um, look, who knows? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ne- ne- next life. Yeah. Um, so I
4: think one thing I was kind of wondering is you see, 97 was, you know, that was the, the one divisional county championship. It was, you know, before T20. What, what would you say yeah. is, the, is the, the biggest
6: way that county cricket has changed from then until now? I think these, you know, a lot of people probably disagree, but I think these two div- divisions is not. It, 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 I think it had a positive for a short period, but I think, you know, that from the, from when it changed to, um, when it changed again last year, but, you know, and it's changed again this year, um, I, I just think the, the two divisions was, um, you know, they say about, you know, second division was really poor. Uh, first division was the best, but I, I look at it as you had two completely different divisions. You had a division where, the top division where um, you started off with all the test sides in and it was like flat pitches, good pitches. Um, And then in the second division, you had, you know, teams that wanted to get out of that division to get in the first division. So it's like, how do you do that? Right, we'll prepare pitches how we want to play cricket. So 99% of the time you'd rock up and it'd be a raging green. Um, And it is in uh, how I overseed it, I oversaw it all was, I, I saw the first division being an offside game because it's more of a patience game and mm-hmm. um, because they're better pitches, flatter pitches, and a lot of the test grounds. And I saw the second division um, was basically, we need to get out of this division. We've got a bowl at the stump. So you bowl a lot of struggle. So it became a leg side game. And that's how I looked at it, really. When people asked me, it's first division to me was an offside game and second division became a leg side game. Um, and that, yeah, that's I, I think that's the the disappointment because you, you ended up getting rid of, you know, at the time we were probably had you know, three, three quality outstanding bowlers in each side. And then it became everybody moved, you know, the first division and signed more players because they had more money. Um, and they'd take all the best players from the second division. And all of a sudden the second division became like a development division mm. uh, where you'd probably only have two decent bowlers. And they were probably the old boys that were just finishing or, the good youngsters coming through, but then in time, the First Division boys just snapped them up. Yeah. So, it was, you know, uh, the, in it, it, it was positive because I suppose at the time we needed to change, but, you know, I, I, I thought it was um, a little bit disappointing.
4: Yeah. And is, is, it, is it a more
6: professional game now than it was at the start? <laughs> Buying chips at lunchtime. Is, it, is, that, is that really what it was like? <laughs> Man, I'm not, come on, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no nah, it was uh i remember chris lewis's first game for us yeah and he he rocked up and he came into the change rooms and he goes right where can i get some food from and this was before the game no yeah this was before, no we were going into lunch remember and he goes where can i get some other food from i said well the, the meat's open it's the old building on the corner i said the meat's open you can get food from in there he goes right come on let's go so I'm like, okay, so we wander over and he get he goes in and he, he has a big slab of cake and then um uh gammon eggs and chips. So he takes them off, eats his cake first, <laughs> eats his cake on first, and then polishes his egg ham and chips up with a cup of tea. <laughs> that's old school, that's proper old. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah, it's it's changed massively now. Like we go into the the dining room now and there's there's not an ounce of fat on anything or There's no goodies, no desserts at the end. It's, um, but it's, that's the way the game's gone. And it's very, it's very professional now. It has been professional for years, but, um, you know, everything's changed, you know, the fitness, the, uh, the standards in the fitness and all that sort of stuff.
4: Is that the plan basically just to keep playing for as long as Kent will have you and as long as you can go for basically?
6: Well, I'll, I'll keep playing until I'm not doing my job. Um, you know, and obviously the body, the body's a big thing. If the body holds together, then, um, yeah, and like I said, I'm still getting my wickets and still getting my runs. Um, winning games for Kent, that's all I want to do. Um, you know, and the other thing is, with the experience that I have, I feel that I've, I've got a lot to give the lads. You know, when I'm playing, it's the best place to not, not coach, but, Help these boys progress, and if they get in sticky situations, um, a lot of the situations that you get stuck in, I've been in and been through myself. So it, you know, it's great. I love batting with these young lads in the middle or standing at mid off when somebody um, you know might be struggling with a ball or getting a bit impatient, or you know what I mean. It's um, there's not there's not many better places to help um, coach um, players along their way.
1: Next up is Jason Holder, the man who captained West Indies on their Tour of England in 2020. Holder took 6 of 42 in the first innings of the summer in West Indies' win at Southampton. Phil spoke to him earlier this year before Holder was relieved of the Test captaincy. They talked about the Tour of England, the Black Lives Matter movement, his aspirations for the future and much more.
0: Congratulations, Jason, to begin with. and Tell me, what does it mean to accept this kind of award?
8: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, it's an it's, it's an honour. Um, I, I was happy to to be part of the 2017 tour uh, when Shea Hope was prolific, and then you know afterwards he was he was named one of the five wisdom cricketers. Um, before that, I think Marlon Sanders was the last for West Indian to be to be named as a Wisden cricketer. And yeah, it's something that I thought about. You know, I probably didn't give as as much thought into it as as I probably would maybe for an ICC uh, official accolade. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great honour, you know. The, the list of players who've been part of this prestigious club is is, is, is endless, sorry, and, and there's some pretty big names on it. So to be a part of it, you know, means, means a lot to me personally.
0: The award, I guess, in some respects, reflects uh, the, the team as much as, as, as you as an individual, because it was a team decision, a collective decision to to make the trip last June to England to COVID-riddled England from a relatively safe Caribbean uh, COVID situation to a, to a hot spot relatively. And, and that must have taken a lot of effort, a lot of consideration, not just from yourself as part of the management team, but of course going all the way down to the to the players themselves.
8: Yeah, it was a massive decision, you know. I mean, at that time, everybody was uncertain, uh, as we still are at this present time. And we had to really sit down with the way what was being presented by the ECB. And I, I would always say to their credit, they've done an outstanding job. I think what they've rolled out was phenomenal. Um, it has been probably by by far the best bubble I've been a part of. Um, the most secure and the most safe and, and well well put together. Um, but to make the decision to come over was hard. You know, obviously some players opted out, not, be, not being comfortable. It was the first tour post-COVID and no one knew what to expect. So it was definitely a big, a big call for us, you know. But as we see now in world cricket, is it COVID has affected everyone, uh, and some more more than others financially, particularly. And um, for us, it, it meant so much to continue cricket, and and it had to be done on the safe safe measures, obviously. But it was very important to continue cricket because for us as a smaller nation, in terms of the scale of international territories, um, it impacts us significantly when, you know, we don't have revenue coming in um, at at any given time. So it it was a big decision, not only from that angle, but for our personal well beings. And, you know, we came together, we decided what what we wanted to do, and and the decision was taken to to get on the flight
0: and go to England. I remember you saying at the time that, you and the boys wanted to get back into the workforce. But there was also a responsibility to the game at large, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, look, I guess now
8: we can look at it in hindsight. We can say it was a very important decision. At that time, maybe we, ha- we hadn't understood the full magnitude of how impactful a decision like that was. But now that we, we're seeing how it's definitely affected the job force or the workforce in the world, it seems as if it, was a, it was a massive call. Um, There's been so many loss of jobs, um, as as there are loss of lives, you know. And to to weigh up, you know, your your livelihood and and a, and a way of making a wage um, in comparison to your life, you know, is a big call, you know. But for us, we've, we've just got to we've got to get on with life and, and and make decisions, you know. Some of the, some of them will will impact us a little bit more severely than others, but. You know, in hindsight, we can only tell how great or how poor a decision it may be. Um, but, yeah, looking back on it, yeah, to me, it was a pivotal moment for world cricket. Uh, you know, now seeing something like Australia pulling out of going to South Africa is is, is, is bad. Uh, and it's bad in so many different ways, you know. But at the end, of the, day, the Australians have got their well-being to look up for as well. But, you know, I think it's so imperative that we try to get cricket continuing and, and flowing because it would affect some of the smaller countries unlike and, and South Africa they're, they're pretty much on the same boat as us
0: and they need that that, that TV revenue. You, you you join us from Antigua I believe you're in yet another bubble as we talk preparing for the domestic uh, one day tournament in, in the West Indies Um, you said that the English bubble was may, maybe one of the more manageable bubbles that you've you've had to endure over the last 12 months or so but from a from a captain perspective, it must be challenging as well, because you need to be close to your, your teammates. You need to be empathetic to the stresses and strains of, of your team, and even, even in the best of times. How challenging was it for you as a leader in this secure unit, if you like, this isolation unit to, to carry out your, your job, your role? Well, to be honest,
8: in England, it was the easiest because England, we were literally in a hotel by ourselves. You know, there was nobody else in the hotel, so we weren't we weren't um, restricted to being in our rooms like we were in other bubbles. You know, we didn't have an isolation period where we had to stay in our rooms in England. You know, we could just move around the hotel freely. Um, the first few days, we had to stay out of contact, of direct contact with their staff. Um, but apart from that, we had all liberty to move around the hotel, so that made it easy in a sense then, uh, particularly in a few other bubbles that I've been a part of, I've had Ice like seven day isolations in a room, fourteen day isolations in a room, which is which is really really tough, man. Every day it just felt like the room became smaller and smaller. But again, when when you look back on the the bubble that was that was laid out in England, it, it was to me way better than, than most others because we had basically our own space. It was tough knowing that you just you just couldn't leave, as is any other bubble. Uh, and then for me and a lot of other players, I remember they remarked. You're waking up, you're hearing the sound of the hover cover um, at Manchester. And it's basically from the ground to your room and you can see the ground from your room. So you never you never quite got away from cricket per se, which is hard. Um, I know some guys couldn't even open up their blinds because they just didn't want to see the field, even although cricket wasn't being played. But it was that mentally draining on a lot of players. And and I guess at the very end of the tour, you know, it caught up with us. But you know, again, we're still grateful that we had the opportunity to play and I thought it was a really, really good series. Highly contested and, you know, we won the first test and they battled back to win the series. But I don't think it was, just, it was by stretch. We were outplayed, you know. It was a keenly contested series and, and it was good to see two teams competing tough um, at the restart of cricket.
0: So going, looking at that Southampton Test match, it was a it was a powerful occasion, really. Firstly, that it was symbolically resonant that it was taking place at all. But of course, it was also... Driven by a kind of a new kind of energy on the back of the the BLM Black Lives Matter movement that cricket was trying to wrestle with and engage with in a way that perhaps it hasn 't historically, um, were you aware that something extraordinary was taking place? Were you aware that, that Mikey Holding and ebony were, were planning to speak on on issues of race in cricket and were you, were you conscious of that while simultaneously trying to actually play a game of cricket in the midst of of that
8: game? Honestly, I didn't know anything about it. You know, like everybody else, we sat up in the the dressing room and we saw it on TV Um, and it was touching. It was touching to see two individuals, regardless of what race they are, speak freely, speak freely and openly and and honestly. And I'm sure it, it shook the world. It shook the cricketing world because everyone who saw it, you know, had a, a clearer understanding i mean even if they didn't fully understand it they had a, a little bit more education you know as to some of the, the challenges some people face within their within within this world and no doubt it, it impacted everyone and i think it got the message across and the message was simply just the awareness around racism in general and and then it is down to the individual to then seek their, their own personal um, education and trying to expand on what, what Ebony and, and Mikey and everybody else has been has been pushing. Um, and people always, uh, I, I, I find people have misconstrued a bit what the entire movement was all about uh, or is all about. Uh, and it's not only just black lives, you know. I guess it's the first time that black the black community has really come together and stood up but it is about racism in general. Uh, And the whole thing is for everyone to be aware of what it is, how it affects certain people, you know, ways to alleviate it and for the entire society to grow. You know, and and it's not an overnight fix. That's another thing that people really need to understand. It's not an overnight fix. This is an ongoing issue and it, it will always be an ongoing issue until we can raise that awareness, until we can get that education around for people to understand what it's all about. And I think Mikey, Ebony and, and everybody else who's played their part in, in, in kneeling, um, educating, ha, ha, has done their role. And, and it's just imperative that all of us continue to grow it, build it, bring it together. And there's more ways. I think that is when, you know, we'll see a, a change and a difference in, in the approach of people uh, towards different races.
0: Symbolically, an extraordinary moment, wasn't it, to see two international cricket teams just before the start of a, of a test series taking the knee in solidarity. Was that a, a conversation that you had with Joe, Joe Root beforehand? Were, were both teams absolutely committed to the idea long in advance? How did those conversations go?
8: So we arrived in England and obviously uh, it was at the heart of the Black Lives movement, the push for the Black Lives movement then. And we as a, as a West Indies team, we definitely sat down and spoke about it because we wanted to show our support behind it. And it was just about not shoving anything down our players' throats, but having a conversation around it for us to then come to compromise as to what we're going to do to support the movement. Because everybody agreed that we had to support it. Um, so, yeah, we sat, out and sat, sat around in, in our team room at length and we discussed it. You know, some players shared. Their personal experiences of racism uh, what their family members and people close to them have experienced, and it was touching. Um, after that, we then decided we had a, we had a few ideas out on the table, but we didn't actually fully committed to one. Um, and then I, I got a text from from Joe, and Joe Joe reached out, reached out to me um, wanting wanting to find out how they can help support us um, and, and if there's anything that, that they could share. Uh, in their support behind the movement as well, uh, and that's when the the dialogue opened up between both parties. And Joe obviously missed the first test match with the birth his his, his uh, I think it was test second child, and Stokesy filled in. You know, so when we got down to Southampton, uh, I sat with Stokesy and Mark Satsby, along with our manager and coach, uh, and we sat down and we discussed you know our, our support behind it, and you know we came up to that compromise that we we're going to take the knee, and and they were in, they were full support. And, you know, Stokes, he did share some of the instances that Joffre's had. Um, Moen Ali has obviously been racially abused as well. And Mark Saxby, he shared a few of his experience personally as well. And, and it was very, 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 very touching. You know, a few of us shared our experiences with them. And we, we just came to that compromise that we were going to take the knee. Um, and, yeah, that was, that was practically it.
0: It's it's an ongoing process, of course, um, but you're on the record of saying that it was rarely, if ever, discussed during your stint at the IPL in October, November last year. Do you feel like it's it's a challenge still to get certain certain parts of the cricketing world to to face up to these kinds of conversations?
8: I think that I think that extract was was a, again mis, misconstrued. You know, I was asked a question on, on whether um, it was brought up. Um, at the IPL about taking the New support behind it and that's what I said no I mean we hadn't we hadn't spoken about it uh, and that was that I mean it wasn't a case where I asked and they said no uh, or it was it was um, the, it was pushed pushed away or pushed aside by the, the, the franchises at the IPL there was never a conversation around it and that was just what, what I said um, towards it but look even in that instance, you know, we still need to continue to raise the awareness. Um, I, had to, I happened to be in Australia being part of the Sydney Sixers group and it was phenomenal. Um, they did, they've done an outstanding job. You know, they've obviously got their different racial uh, or their different races in Australia. Uh, the Aboriginals have, have had their challenges and there was a lot of support behind the Aboriginals and, and also the Black Lives Matter movement. So at the Sixers, they did a really nice campaign and, and they sat down as a group again and discussed a lot of things. And, um, I, it was real touching to see the support that the Sixers threw behind it, kneeling before every game, and, and then obviously the, the awareness behind the whole Aboriginal race in, in Australia, and, and, and just raising that awareness in general about the whole, the, whole, the, whole, the whole race in general. So It was great. I mean, I think more things like that I believe need, 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 need to happen. And again, it starts with the schools. I think there needs a little bit more history around racism in schools and, and perhaps make it part of the curriculum.
0: Going back to the test match itself at Southampton, um, one, of the, one of the great wins really, one of the great modern day wins for the West Indies um, and dare I say a personal triumph for yourself, six for 40 odd I think in the first innings and seeing off the winning runs to win by four wickets, you were obviously a key part of the, the famous Leeds win, the Shea Hope game from 2017 but where does this one rank, where does this Southampton win rank for you personally?
8: Yeah, it was a massive win for us. You know, um, it was important. We started the series well. Uh, in the past, we've always been slow to start and, and having to play catch-up. But knowing that they were missing Joe for the first Test match, he was obviously one of their most prolific batsmen, uh, we felt it was an opportunity to hit them hard. Um, a lot was being being heavily reliant on Stokesy to carry their bat and carry the bat in Mantle. And then they had some relatively inexperienced guys at the top of the order. Uh, burnsy was now trying to get back in... Um, as well as Dom Sibley trying to make his name. Um, Joe Denley was under a bit of pressure as well, too. So, you know, we knew that we could we, we had a few loopholes to attack. And, yeah, our credit to our bowlers. We got the ball in the right area. We put them under pressure. We got early wickets. And, you know, we were able to, to keep the momentum with us throughout the entire game. I thought we bowled beautifully. We bowled beautifully in the game. Shannon was outstanding um, in the entire game. I obviously had a, a massive impact. And, and it's good to see the guys really knuckle down and chase down um, I think it was two two hundred and eighty yards. I can't remember the exact score. But it was good to see us chasing now and win that first test months. Um so yeah, it was off to a really, really good start and it, it was right up there one of the best series I love playing against England. I've always said it England's our, our, is our biggest series, whether it be in the Caribbean or or in England. Um but here in the bar, Miami roar, um it just sends goosebumps all, up up your up your spine and you know it's is one of my best series and most most enjoyable series in, in fact.
0: You've been skipper now for, I think, six years. Um, just 29, but you've been skippering since, since you were relatively young. Um, does the job still hold as much appeal and as much allure as it, as it, as it ever has for you?
8: I enjoy captaining. Um, I enjoy captaining the test group, particularly. Uh, I've obviously been relieved to do one day captaincy. And, and if I, if I wasn't, you know, I'd probably be still doing it now. I, I wouldn't say I would walk away. I don't like to walk away from things, man. I'm not. I'm not one of those persons who who throws in the towel, man. To me, that's not my nature. And as hard as it may be, and and I, and I try sometimes to put 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 aside the results, you know. Sometimes, in a in the developing side, you've got to look for ways to to pave the way for the next generation, or to set set stones up for for the next. I set a foundation up for the next generation. And look, I just see my role as being kind of that initiator in, in a sense where. I could set that next platform or platform for the next generation. And, yeah, our results haven't been as consistent as we would like, but we still had a lot of success. We've had some triumphant wins um, over over the years. And this test group, in particular, to me, has grown leaps and bounds. It is still disappointing sometimes the way we lose, but, you know, I think overall we've, we've made significant strides, and I can only hope that we continue to move in that direction and, and
0: continue to to improve. Looking at your own personal story, Jason, I interviewed you a couple of years ago in a London hotel and you said on a personal level, your plan, your dream, your ambition was to become the world's number one test ranked all rounder. Well, you've done that. Uh, you've done that quite emphatically as well. And now you and Stokes are head to head as you have been for 10 years and more since under-19s cricket. There, I ask, what's, what's next for you then? What, what's left to achieve for you personally?
8: Man, still the sky's the limit, man. Um, I think I've gotten to the point now where I kind of actually look at stats, you know. So I just want to keep improving my stats personally. But to me, it's more about stats, or personal accolades, man. West Indies cricket has to get back on track, man. Uh, and for me, I would love to, in my time of playing, see West Indies cricket rise and, and rise—not only rise for a short period, but. You could see a structure in place and, and you could see consistency in terms of developing young players and having a, a firm structure and team for a number of years to come. <clears throat> so I guess that's my ultimate goal. And I I will stop playing until they can, can see some kind of some kind of um, improvement and, and, and direction towards towards having that or achieving that goal.
0: All right, well we're all behind you, Jason. It's a it's a laudable claim. Um, It's a great place to finish. Congratulations, recognised as as one of Wisdom's latest cricketers of the year. Go well for the rest of the year. Thanks a lot, Phil. I appreciate it.
1: Next up, Zach Crawley. Crawley's 267 at the Aegeus Bowl was one of the most memorable individual performances of the 2020 summer. At the age of 22, Crawley became the 13th youngest men's Test cricketer to score a Test match double hundred. He spoke to Joe midway through England's tour of India about those special two days at Southampton and the promising start he's made to his England Test career.
5: As we speak now, midway through the Test series in India, you're still sworn to secrecy about the fact that you've, that you've won. Has it been difficult to keep it under wraps over the last month or so? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because
9: you know, it's a massive honour and um, you know, I'm extremely excited about being named... Um, one of the Cougars of the year, so it's, um, yeah, no, you try, it's been tough to keep the wraps, but
5: um, I look forward to the time when it comes out, so it's a bit more public knowledge. By any standards, it's been an extraordinary first year and a bit of test cricket for you. Obviously, you've, you've packed in four tours, played two home series, become the third youngest player to hit a double century for England, and then through pretty much all of that, you've had a global pandemic, you've had biosecure bubbles, empty stadiums, huge amounts of uncertainty. It must feel like a huge amount has happened to you in a, in a short space of time.
9: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when, when when you're having fun, time flies. So it feels like it's gone so quickly, to be honest. But, uh, you know, I've absolutely loved every minute of it. I've, it's something that I've wanted to be a part of, you know, playing for England since I was really young. So to have the last year and a half and, you know, to to get a couple of scores in there for England has been, you know, don't too many cliches but it has been a dream come true it's something that I've, I've thought about my whole life really so it's um you know now I've got a taste I just want more and more of it
5: I mean you only turned 23 in early February uh and you'd only had two full seasons in Kent's first team before making your debut uh, you'd been touted as an, a future the batsman for, for a few years now but has it happened for you a bit quicker than you were expecting
9: yes I think it has I was uh, you know I always had in my plan in my mind that uh you know I wanted to play for England and I was trying to map it out in my head about what age and it was it definitely came sooner than I thought you know I didn't have um the usual stats behind me that a lot of people need to pick for England but you know playing at Canterbury and maybe they saw a bit of potential and you know I was picked with you know with those stats and um you know so in that regard it happened a lot quicker than I thought it might but you know I'm very thankful that it did. Going back to that
5: knock last summer, um, I remember I was watching it with a few of the other members of the Wisdom team from our office at the Oval. And right from the start of that innings, it just felt like every delivery was hitting the middle of your bat. I think you raced to 40 at about a run of ball. In fact, I remember one of the staff said, he's almost going too well. When you're backing that well, it's hard to rein yourself in sometimes. But were you conscious from very early on in that innings that you were in really good touch and you kind of needed to make it count?
9: Um, yeah, absolutely. I did, yeah. I, I felt in really good touch um, and it was a very good wicket and I knew you know, I hadn't scored a Test 100 at that point. And, um, like I said, I got to 40 really quickly and I almost got really nervous around that point actually. It was just before lunch because I, I realised what a great opportunity it was to score my first Test 100. So um, I actually had a bit of a dodgy point there before lunch where Shaheen had a well at me and um, I played and missed a couple of times. But luckily lunch came and I settled down a bit after lunch and managed to go on and get 100 but no absolutely it happened to me before in South Africa where I felt in great touch um in my first 50 at Johannesburg and I got I got really nervous thinking no this is a great opportunity uh and got out there in the 60s so it was nice to to kick on this time but it was definitely a, a massive thing for me even
5: even early on in my innings that you know I knew it was a great chance to score 100. When you're playing a long innings like that how do you stay focused? Are you consciously trying to switch off when you can, even just for a few seconds? Or are you constantly in the zone thinking about what the bowler's doing, the field settings, the match situation?
9: Yeah, it's one of those things when you're on your own in your room trying to you know improve your mental game. You think about those things. Um, but I find actually when you're in good touch, the, the, those things happen naturally. And on that day, I, I just seem to switch off naturally. Um, and I think that's all confidence when you, you start thinking well. Um, about your game, and when you're not confident, when you when you start overthinking, and overcomplicating the game. But really, on that day, I, like I felt in really good, Nick, and I didn't think about um, trying to bat a long period of time. I was just thinking about playing the next ball, and and that's the best of ever bad. So I ever had. I haven't really been able to do that too often in my career, and it's something that you know I'm still trying to chase. That kind of staying in the zone as much as possible. But one of the, that was one of those days where you know it just happened naturally for me.
5: I guess in county cricket, it's quite unusual to have that scenario. I mean, often the pitches aren't as good as what you'd have played on there. You're obviously playing four-day cricket rather than five-day cricket. I guess it's an opportunity in test cricket that wouldn't necessarily have opened itself up to you too many times.
9: No, absolutely. I, um, you know, you've probably got the chance to bat for a full two days if you want to, and if, you, if you're able to in test mm. cricket. Whereas in, in county cricket, you know, you, you're at max, you're probably going to bat for a day and a half. Um, so that that probably takes away fifty overs or so, but um, you know, you, you still a chance in county cricket to get big scores, as we see all the time. There's there's been a few triple hundreds down the line in there, and um, plenty of double hundreds. So it's definitely something that when I when I play for Kent, I want to start doing more of is uh, getting big hundreds, and
5: because it makes the average look good. Then with all the notes. <laughs> <laughs> It's been talked about before. You're, you're a rarity in that you're not on social media, and you've said you don't have any plans to change that anytime soon. It's not something that hugely appeals to you. Uh, I wondered then how the idea of fame sits with you. Are you comfortable with the idea of becoming famous, of people recognising you, approaching you in the street? Um, oh, that's an
9: interesting question. I, um, I suppose it's part and parcel of, um you know, being, if you, if you got to that stage where I see, you know, I see Ben Stokes walking around and he gets recognized all the time and um, people ask him for photos. Uh, And, you know, I think it's, I remember when I was young and I saw famous people who were famous and I I really wanted to see them. And it gave, it gave me inspiration to see them in person. You know what I mean? So um, it'd be absolutely, I think it'd be if I ever got to that stage where I was um, well known in public, where I would like to think that, you know if young people saw me that you know I could inspire them a bit so you know if I ever got to that stage yeah I think I'd enjoy that but um yeah no, it's a tough question for me that to be honest because you know I, I can't really picture myself as being famous. so i don't I don't really know how I'd, I'd sit with it but um but yeah I, I'd like to think that um you know the people I see around the group who are, who are well known um, deal really well so I've got some Good people to look up to there and, and try and follow in their footsteps.
5: I'm um, going back to your test career so far. You had quite a long break after that Pakistan series, and then faced a very different challenge of playing in Sri Lanka in their own backyard on pitches that were spinning from the first session. Uh, you didn't manage to get a score in that series, but how much did you learn uh, across the course of those two matches?
9: Yeah, I learned a lot, and it's um, you know it was you know probably the toughest um, series I've had so far, and um, it was good to experience it, the, um, you know, the scrutiny you're under and uh, the pressure you're put on to, you know, change a few things and do this and do that. And and actually, I, it's um, cemented my opinion that, you know, you just have to trust yourself and trust the people around you who, um, who have their best interests. Oh, everyone's going to have their opinion at this level because obviously it's, there's such high scrutiny. And that's fine, They're entire, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but it's, it's being strong with yourself. And um, it's going to be, a, in my mind, there's only, there's only a couple of opinions that matter, me and, and the close people around me. And, um, mm. and I think that's important that I try and stick to that.
5: It's very rare as a top order batsman at England England to be facing spin from the very first delivery like you were in that, in that series. And even if you do, the pitches aren't going to be offering the, the same amount of turn. Uh, how difficult is it to then experience that scenario in Test cricket? for the first time.
9: Yeah, it was definitely a challenge, but it was something that I'd, I'd planned in my head for so like since, since the end of the Pakistan series, since mm-hmm. August. So, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't that alien to me. I knew it was going to happen. Uh, and I've been practising it in the nets all the time. And it just it uh, I've been practising really well in the nets and um, I felt my game against spin was, was, uh, was sharp. And I felt in great touch in that first knock. And unfortunately, played, um, misexecuted a strong shot of mine, and and got nine. Um And from there on in, you know, the second innings it was ragging square, and I, I could have been out four or five times. It was just pot luck, really. And then the, in the last game, I felt like I got two pretty decent balls, and and that was my tour. Yeah. It all seemed to happen very quickly, really. So it was. It's one of those things where you know it just didn't go my way. But I I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed anything about the way I prepared for it, and I, I prepared mentally for that uh, to take place with the opening with the spin so it, it wasn't like it caught me by surprise or anything it was just didn't turn out for me
5: Looking a little bit further ahead touch wood uh, and from past experience we you know things can change quickly but things seem to be shaping up for a hopefully a more normal cricketing summer in England um, I wondered having not had a, a home England summer uh, yourself in Test cricket yet what are you most looking forward to if we can have something resembling a normal summer?
7: Well
9: um it's a great question just just living really just going out having the choice to go out and have a coffee or or go and have um go and meet some friends or you know i just you take you don't realize before this um before the virus hit us that you know you don't realize how how good you know how much you enjoy the little things in life and uh you know taking for granted a little bit like seeing people and having having fun with your friends and that and just going out and doing stuff and I just can't wait for all that to come back again. And, um, I'm not going to have too many nights in that's for sure. I'm going to make the most of it.
5: And it will be nice to walk out in front of a packed house to a, in a ground in England, which you haven't had that experience yet as a, as a test cricketer.
9: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'd love to play a home test in front of, you know, you know in front of an English crowd and then, you know, obviously all supporting you and, um, you know, like I said earlier, that'd be an absolute dream come true. So, like, play at Lords or, or the Oval or something like that, and that would just be, you know, absolutely brilliant.
1: And finally, Dom Sibley. Over the course of 2020, Sibley established himself as an important member of an ever-improving England top seven. Sibley scored 100 in the second test win over West Indies, as well as playing a crucial knock at the top of the order in the run chase against Pakistan and Manchester later in the summer. I spoke to him halfway through England's tour of India early this year about his... Twenty Twenty, the media focus on his scoring rate, England's improvement as a batting outfit during his time in the side, and more. First of all, congrats on the award. When did you find out? Um, I think I found out around October, actually, um,
7: around then, um, September, October, as the season sort of finished. Got the text, and uh, yeah, no, it was nice to uh, nice to receive, obviously. In the back in the day, getting the getting the wisdoms, and my dad's got a few in, on the old bookshelf. So uh, yeah, no, very very nice to to have got that.
1: Next test you get, you set your hundred sets the foundation for that really good win. um And it's kind of been a pattern of your test career so far that even even when you contributed massively to an England win, there's a lot of commentary box chat about your scoring rate, scoring options against spin. People make you know saying it's seventh slowest test 100 by an instrument in terms of ball space. Is is that something you're phased about at all when you're batting or even after a game or something like that?
7: Oh, I think I was a little bit taken aback by some of the comments. I would watch the highlights that evening in the hotel because we were all just in the bubble and there wasn't anything to do. And um, I remember sort of hearing sarcastic comments. I sort of felt a little bit, uh, you know, I felt a little bit sort of disappointed and a bit hurt, but um. At the same time, I think the next day I might have said something to someone in the in the dressing room and, and then then you talk to the senior guys and they sort of say like, well, you know, we, you think, we think you did an amazing job for the team. And, um, you know, we won the game in four days. There was a day washed out. So, um, you know, I think I, that, that sort of says it all really. And um, I just, you know, I've, I've, I think with international cricket, you're going to get people talking about you the whole time and the pressure's... Um, on a you know on a different level to county cricket and that's something that you have to adjust to quite quickly and uh, you know it doesn't get any easy I don't think but you just find ways of coping with it
1: Is it have you made a conscious decision to kind of um, look at what people are saying less like if that's what people are saying even when you're scoring a match winning 100 you know what, what social think, media and all that can be like
7: I think um, you realise that a lot of people want to speak to you and you do well um, I do always try and you know people when I don't score many runs who, who message me and um, when, you know, when you're going through a dark time and stuff, the people that message you then is, is, is important to, you know, those are the people that are, you know, speak to you know, on both occasions and, and to take the rest as it comes really. I think when you're playing for England and and, do, and you score some runs, people are going to want a piece of you and that's just the way life is. So, yeah, I try and just, you know, stick to, the, like, stick to chatting lots of people that I trust and, um, yeah, I go from there
1: who are those people that that you do speak to when the going's not perhaps going as well
7: uh got some good friends um got you know in cricket out of cricket um, got my family um mm. that's about it really yeah. got some good 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 group of mates that I can you know you know when if I get a low score they'll they'll i know that they'll there'll be a message from them on my phone um you know even if it's talking enough to do a cricket and a bit of banter mm. and stuff like that um, and then obviously I've got my family um, and then yeah i got people that you know in and out of cricket that I trust it's not you know not loads of people but I think it's important to have
1: do you have any conversations in particular with with either Chris Silverwood or Joe Root where, they, where they've actively encouraged you to play your natural game I mean there was a famous quote from Trevor Bayliss well before your time in the England team about wanting two of his three batsmen in the top of the order to be attacking batsmen that was something that he later Kind of went back on a little bit, but that comment kind of hovered around the batsman around that period for quite a long time. Have you had conversations with either those two guys where they're properly back to you? guess your natural style of batting. Um,
7: I, I I think you know that with uh, the conversations are trying to get as many you know big first inning scores over four hundred as we can, and I think um we've done we've we've done that um quite well. I've been lucky that in the in the games that I played for England. So far, we've I feel like we've won quite a lot of them, and we've we've been successful in series. So, um, yeah, I I've, I just feel you know supported by them, and um, Joe's great to chat to about batting, and obviously you know, he's he's a, you know one of England's um, if not greatest player in, in, in across the all the formats. So to pick his brains and stuff is, uh, is 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 amazing, and obviously he's in some serious form at the minute. So it's been great to watch him go about it.
3: Mm.
1: There's another innings I wanted to ask you about. It kind of got forgotten a little bit because of the partnership between Chris Wokes and Josh Butler at the end of that test, but you helped England get off to a really good start in that run chase at Manchester. You put on 60-odd with Root after Burns fell with a score in 22. You got through a really tricky period against a new ball with a bass, a 3D seam shah, and then the spin of Yassir Shah. I remember watching it and thinking, like, this was test cricket at its best, batting against a high-quality attack and a fourth-inning run chase, and so the odds are probably against you did you find that challenge almost enjoyable? You know, feeling that like this really is this is really what it's all about, Test cricket.
7: Yeah, hundred percent. I think Ch- trying to chase total down is um, you know extremely, uh, you know, always going to be tough. And the, you know, the conditions it was it was a, it was an interesting wicket to be playing um, Pakistan on in uh, in England. It was obviously spinning and up and down. And um, you know, it's the, the partnership that um, Josh and Boxy put on was incredible. So to win that and yeah, I mean I I think I got maybe thirty. I can't remember exactly how much and to have a partnership with Joe, but at the end of the day it was I, I gave it away and um was obviously, you know, left the boys in the lurch a little bit. So that was a bit frustrating. But um yeah, just relieved that we got over the line.
1: Yeah, I just wanna pick um up on something that you mentioned, kind of like you your sixteen tests now into England career, and it and it has been a really good one actually for England. There's been a lot of rotation and that's been well documented, but you know, as a spec- as a test specialist at the moment, you've you've been in ever present since your debut and at the time of recording England have won nine and lost just four of the tests that you've played in and then I think this is particularly interesting in relation to your career so far England have passed 407 times since your debut in the 16 tests before your debut England only passed 400 once so 16 tests into your career how, how do you feel it's gone so far and and how, has a team environment changed much in that time do you feel more confident as a part of it?
7: Uh I don't want to say I feel more, you know I don't feel like a, you know like a confident in terms of like, you know I feel like if you if, you've ever, if you ever start feeling like a you know confident in your place and stuff like that that's when the issues will start coming in so I always feel like I'm trying to play for England as if it's my last game and I'm um, trying you know work really hard and keep improving um, but yeah I, I look at sort of 16 test matches and um, I feel I'm averaging 35 and I feel like I've missed a lot of opportunities to get big scores and I'm sort of, you know, I, I feel frustrated that my average isn't higher and I haven't maybe got three or four hundred. So um, I think, you know, trying to sometimes maybe I get a bit uh, harsh on myself and get a bit down on myself. But um, yeah, I suppose maybe it was, I think at the start, if you'd have given me that after my first two test matches in New Zealand, I, I would have taken it. But at the same time, sitting here now, I feel like maybe I should be doing better and, I'm hoping to contribute um, in a in a bigger way in the next few test matches and um, and hopefully help us win a win a uh, you know really amazing series in India.
1: Mm. And and in relation to uh, I guess going forward, what one thing that's been really interesting, I think something that I think you've endeared yourself with for with with the England fans really is like how notably you've got through quite tricky periods against really good attacks, for example South Africa, South Africa. Uh, that Pakistan attack at home, and then in spinning conditions in Sri Lanka and India, you kind of, like, people have almost seen you improve as series have, have gone on. And with, with that in mind, going forward to the, the enormous year England has in 2021, how, how are you feeling about the challenges that 2021 has in store for for England Test cricket, in, in what is an, a massive year for it?
7: Yeah, I think just for me, it's just a case of don't look too far ahead. I want to just you know get runs in this next game, starting on Wednesday, and and, and try and contribute to, to us winning games, I think. Um, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to look too far ahead or series ahead because, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to be involved. I just want to, um, you know, play every game, as you know, enjoy every game playing for England. This, this is a privilege and something I wanted to do from a young age and not look too far ahead and worry about certain things because I think that's, you know, that can be quite a dangerous sort of uh, mindset to be in. So it's just the case for me of trying to um, enjoy, you know, wearing the England cap and and trying to contribute as much as possible and score big runs, I think, um, you know, I haven't got 100 yet this winter. I really want to score, you know, my third Test 100. And um, that's something that I'm I'm desperate to do, uh, you know, and I want to do it as soon as possible.
1: As mentioned earlier, the final member of the five is Mohamed Rizwan. He spoke to Taha and Nourdu. That interview, as well as the full versions of the four interviews you've heard already, will be going on the Wisdom Cricket YouTube channel in the coming days. We hope you've enjoyed this bumper show. Thanks to our panel, Joe, Butch, and Ben, our special guests, and our listeners for making it this far. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends, hit the subscribe button, and we'll hopefully see you next week. Cheers.
3: Podcast Network.